Hey y'all, welcome back to the Wednesday, August 10th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. We have got a jam-packed, really, really fun show for you guys here on a Wednesday. We kick things off with Stats by Will, talking all things college basketball. We flip Will and Van Graaff's John Taylor this week. Uh, John will be on uh, the Friday show, Will here on the Wednesday one. So uh, a lot of fun talking all things college basketball with Will. Um, we talked about... Um, Kansas, West Virginia, uh, whether or not they are overrated going into next season because the numbers kind of like them. Uh, Wes Miller, if he's the right guy, wrong guy for Cincinnati uh, based on this past year and where the program is going. Uh, Some early college basketball breakout candidates um, might be Chris Murray. Uh, We also talk about um, Tyreek Key and whether or not he'll start actually for the Tennessee Volunteers this year and uh, the Texas Longhorn season review uh, under Chris Beard year one. So a lot of fun uh, with uh, Stats by Will there. We also have Trillbro Dude. Oh yeah, Trillbro Dude who has a great podcast, you know, ball talking all things Sixers here, the house and PJ Tucker signings, uh, Harden's extension, if Pat Bev's a fit, how Tucker fits in with this group, where the team can go this year, if Matisse Thibel is uh, a part of this team's long-term plans, um, if Tyrese Maxey still is in their level, he can get to. Uh, a lot of fun uh, talking Sixers with Trillbro Dude. And then uh, we wrap things up with new friend Chris Marler of College Football Uncensored the great podcast you should go check out if you've not already done so. Uh, longtime Saturday Night on South guy uh, and actually went to the same high school we learned today. So that was really cool. Hail Parkview. Um, we did uh, <laughs> Why Your SEC Team Sucks in uh, 2022. Uh, so shout out to Drew McGarry over at Defector um, for giving us this idea because it, uh, it was a fun exercise trying to figure out why things go south for every single team in 2022 in the SEC. So uh, outside of Tennessee, of course, because there's just no path to that. Um, so jam-packed, awesome show for you guys today here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Don't forget, folks, you can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. You can read me, write a new piece on writing and where you write and whether or not it actually matters over on sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. So go check that out today. Uh, type in your email, become a subscriber. That easy, that simple. Uh, please go ahead and check that out today. Uh, tweet at me at Chase Devil underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And then, of course, you can email this very program. Mailbag, questions for me, questions for the other hosts. Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Tuesday, August 9th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Your eyes are not deceiving you on youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Yes, that's Will Warren, stats by Will on a Tuesday, very different, uh, but we're switching things up a little bit this week. Uh, Fangraphs John Taylor will be on Thursday, stats by Will for college basketball on Tuesday. So it's uh, it's fun. We're switching things up a little bit. Will, good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and it's nice to not have to move up an appearance to accommodate my one-time champion bar trivia team we're not quite Corskeet uh and uh orange juice no pulp out here mm-hmm. but uh we're, we're we're making our way up you know a first place finish here a fifth place finish there slowly improving um you know what we have to talk about though well before yes. we get into college basketball the latest episode of the rehearsal 
Yeah, so I I advise skipping to the X minute mark if you have not seen this show. But it is minute uh, one here. We'll say two minutes. Let's say minute like now. Yeah, there you go. Okay, nine minute mark. But Mm -hmm. anyway, okay. uh, So I was in Nashville this weekend, out of Mm -hmm. town. Couldn't so like Saturday morning, I I couldn't watch the show basically until Sunday. And Mm -hmm. I got a text from my best friend Saturday afternoon, just saying, "Have you seen the rehearsal yet?" Uh, it was like, I know you're watching soccer, but have you seen the rehearsal yet? And I was like, no, I got to go to an event. And he said, please watch it as soon as you can. It's one of the five best episodes of television I've ever seen. Uh, and that was enough for me to like, you know, get up early that Sunday, turn it on. And I do not know that he was lying. I think uh, this week's episode is one of the most surreal pieces of art ever put down by pretty much anybody in the last decade. I think, I mean, you, you think about what he's trying to do with it. It's, it's sort of, I don't know if you've seen Nope yet at the theaters. Yes. Nope is a very good movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both kind of feel in a way like they're commentating on spectacle Mm. and like how we're looking at one thing, you know, more than anything else. I don't know that Nathan's approaching it in the exact same way as the movie, you know, very obviously is, Mm -hmm. but when he looks at the camera and he says, wait, what is this show? I feel like that's kind of, you know, sort of a side point of like, we're, you know, we're all looking at Nathan while real, like sort of realize not realizing all of the insane stuff that is going on in the background here. I mean, it's nuts enough for Angela to move out of her living situation to rehearse being a parent for seven weeks. And then we find out Nathan's been gone for nine years, basically nine years of the child simulated life. But uh, I don't know, man, what a show. What an episode and a special shout out to Teen Adam, who uh, better than anything I've seen Timothy Chalamet in by far. <laughs> Replace Timothy with this guy now. <laughs> I um, I don't have a take on it, I've realized. I still don't know where, really what I watched. Like the first three episodes, I knew what I watched. And this one... The fiance and I, we just kept looking at each other like, no. And it just kept going deeper. It's like an episode of Inception for television where I just, it's just so over the top. Yeah. And him just moving in and then just like him recreating the apartment, the fake apartment with another fake apartment and everything <laughs> else with the fake room. Like everything about it. And then just the the switch to the camera shots of him pretending to be, what's his, I already forgot his name. What's his name? Tommy. Thomas. Thomas, yeah, yeah, um, and I just I'm overwhelmed by that part of it, but also we need to keep uh, the main character, the main character, which is Angela. We, yes, we, she is just the superstar that we never knew we needed. I think was it you who tweeted this or someone else who was like they weren't going to make her the centerpiece or she was probably not going to be part of these, all these episodes. And then they were like, Oh no, she's a part of all of these episodes. Uh, once they heard her on her first yeah. appearance, I, I wonder if that's what happened there because she is just, uh, ex- <laughs> she is a lot. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. well, it's, uh, the, I mean, a great thing about the show other than all of it is that he's really adding to his legacy of amazing bit characters yeah. So obviously, Tom, I mean, Thomas coming back as the paramedic is an amazing piece. Yes. But uh, you've got that. You have Angela. 
you have the did you google well hold on did you google halloween uh, blah 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 uh remember when she corrects him that's the my favorite thing where he's like that was incredible so that the uh the amazing thing about her uh sourcing is that it comes from a 2002 alex jones radio appearance uh which is yeah which is all time but um is that real yeah her her, like specific thing she mentions comes from that um but you've got that you've got the grandpa who is a former atf agent mm-hmm. which is just all time obviously robin the eels guy the mm-hmm. chi- the lady at canes who's fake eating the chicken <laughs> just so many good pieces it's a great show i'm excited uh for this friday it cannot come soon enough because it's the like show. but it's like i'm excited and scared because this is the first show in a minute where i really don't know what's coming next any given yes uh, portion of the program uh and i think it's great the way they've set this up because you know you'll get little snippets of it or whatever or you'll see the episode summary it's just like nathan gets a visit from his parents with nothing else but i mean i i really appreciate shows like this because i feel like a lot of shows and movies and entertainment products in general are just spoiled by the trailers or commercials and it's like why do i even need to see this anymore this is just, I love a show that keeps you guessing like this. And it's funny to boot, but I think that his biggest talent is creating shows that have the widest gap of appreciation between like a guy and his uh, wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause this is like, I, I love this show. My wife cringes at all Nathan Fielder products. Mm-hmm. My best friend reports the same. My other friend reports the same. And it's like the meme of the woman saying he's probably thinking about other girls, but it's really just like he's probably thinking about Nathan Fielder and the guy is thinking about Nathan Fielder. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, go check it out. HBO Max while it still lasts. HBO Max. Yeah, please uh, watch it so we can. I don't think there's going. I don't think you can do a second season of this, but please watch no. it so we can get more Nathan Fielder products. Yes, I would agree. Um, which naturally leads us to some college basketball because that is ostensibly what this <laughs> podcast is about, uh, Will Warren. Um, I want to start with this one. This is something that's kind of broad that I was thinking about that I want to get your perspective on when we're starting to look at Kim Palm, Bartorvik, and just looking at rotations now that most rotations and rosters are pretty much settled. We know where all the coaches are. It's kind of wild. Like I was going through the coaching tracker and changes, just so many changes over the last two years uh, Mm -hmm. for so many different programs that you're just like, hi, this is a lot to keep straight, but I want to start here. Who do the numbers like that you personally do not buy right now in early August? Well, Warren. So what I'm going to do here, I'm I'm taking the question, but I want to give you the positive spin on it too. Cause there's, Mm -hmm. I've got two overrated picks. So two, they're too high. But then two that I think are a little low mm. or uh, sort of underloved by the numbers. So we'll, we'll get into the two highs first. Um, I think these are going to be some unpopular. At least one of these is a very unpopular pick. But I think Kansas at 10th is a little high. Wow. Uh, and West Virginia at 28th is far too high. Um, Kansas is not a hater pick by any means. Uh, mm. I think it's kind of stupid to bet against Bill Self, but... I'm nothing if not an idiot. Um, I, but the thing is not Bill Self, because uh, I think they'll produce, you know, late in the season like usual. But as a season-long pick, I don't really love the roster. So you look at the roster, and the best returner probably is Jalen Wilson, 
which frankly feels like it could be a huge problem if he's not able to sustain his Big 12 play stats. So he averaged 13 and 8 against Big 12 opponents. He averaged 8 and 7 against everybody else and was not very good in the tournament, I didn't think. I thought he was about net average, whereas, you know, McCormick and other guys were really pushing that ball forward for Kansas. Um, the first of those numbers, 13 and 8, that's like a solid second option that you can build on. The second, eight and seven, is barely a starting piece. So they either hmm. need him to be better than expected or Dewan Harris to greatly improve or for like Grady Dick or one of those freshmen, which, I mean, is that a name you'll get tired of anytime soon? No. No. So it, it's nitpicky. I, I like, I obviously like Kansas because it's kind of hard not to year over year. Uh, and I love self as a coach. But this roster does not feel top 10 to me. It feels like low teens, even early 20s, more than the top 10. Hmm. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if come March, you know, they do the usual thing of like, oh, here we go again. Kansas just won the Big 12 tournament. They're a three seed. Look, the look out. Hooray. Mm-hmm. But during the season, it's kind of a slog to get to that eventual point. Because, I, I mean, on face value, the roster really doesn't jump out in a positive mm-hmm. manner. Uh, like this past year's did. Um, and the the other of these, West Virginia, it's an easier breakdown. They returned 13% of scoring from a sub-500 team and overhauled most of the roster in the portal. That's not like a huge recipe for success to me. So the portal is good when the guys you get are awesome, right? Or they're like valuable pieces. But I think sometimes, and this is, you know, where, you know, maybe projection systems can be tweaked or the way we look at the portal can be tweaked. I think people look at accumulation of bodies and mistake Mm. it for accumulation of talent. Hmm. So the best player they got from the portal is either Trey Mitchell from Texas, who did not start and was barely getting 13 minutes a game or Eric Stevenson from South Carolina, who is like two a or two B on a bad team. Uh, 28th is generally like a six through eight seed, but this roster is more like a bubble team to me, or even an NIT side. Uh, Lenardi didn't even have them on the periphery of his bracket, which isn't that meaningful, but is more in line with a realistic guess to me. Interesting. I like it. Will. I like it. Who do you think you're gonna get more pushback from West Virginia or Kansas? Oh, Kansas easily. (laughs) I, I, I think West Virginia fans are, well, part of this is that Kansas literally just won the national title, so they probably assume they will be top five again. But uh, yeah. I kind of get the feeling, you know, it's sort of hard to do better than Bob Huggins at West Virginia, but I'm starting to get the feeling West Virginia fans are tiring a little, mm. where it's like they're thankful for all he's done, but it's sort of hard to see them getting back to that peak run where they were consistently like a top 10, top 15 Ken Palm team. It's possible, but they, it doesn't look all that realistic anymore i agree um next up i want to play this game each week i have an idea can i nice. can i give my two that were oh, too yeah, low yeah. just real too quick Absolutely. nothing nothing too in depth so dayton is 35th which i think is i think of them as like a top 20 team honestly mm. people seem down on anthony grant uh because i know like the only year they've really stood out they had obi Toppin on their team which yeah but they also got kind of screwed in the 2020 year like they were like a huge loser in the COVID shutdown yeah but they returned 90 percent of their roster and didn't have anybody transfer out i mean Mm -hmm. that's really good in the a10 and it wouldn't surprise me if they end the year in the ap top 25 
The other we've discussed is Florida State, who sits at 73rd on Torvik, which honestly mm. feels about 30 spots too low. Uh, we talked about them when they had a big commit a couple months ago and Baba Miller and Caleb Mills comes back. I, mm. I don't know. I just like that roster more. And I think Anthony is uh, going to get more out of it than people expect or Leonard. So I don't, I almost called him Anthony Hamilton, which is the singer. It's Leonard. Yes. Um, I believe you, Anthony Hamilton. <laughs> I don't think I know of an Anthony Hamilton, but I believe you. And Khaleesi the dog doesn't know either. Um, next up though. Right guy or wrong guy for this program? And I think the to do this, you have to have at least a year of data on this coach to, to this point. Like, I don't – the new coach, we don't know. Like, there's so many new ones, like Dennis Gates, guys like that. Like, we just have no idea. Um, but through uh, the point where Wes Miller is, now it's Cincy. I'm very curious. Are you a Wes Miller right guy for Cincy, or is he the wrong guy for this program? Um – I would check back after this season. I'd lean okay. right guy because of how good he was at UNC Greensboro. Mm. I mean, I, I know stuff like that kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes where mid-major teams in the SOCON and uh, the CSA and other conferences just like pop up and have good five-year runs, right? UNC Greensboro has never had anything quite like what he had before he, <clears throat> before he got there. He mm. really did make them the best they've ever been. Um but since he is a different animal, and I think you need a couple years to dig out of the John Brannon era, whereas like that just, you know, to me, it obviously was not a great fit early on. And they did end up winning the American championship after the first, you know, that first season. But they took a real windy road to get there and it collapsed in year two. Um, he more or less did what I thought they would do last year. They weren't good, but I don't think anybody expected them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't really have... A, a win that I would describe as marquee or a loss that I would describe as too terrible. Uh, they just sort of existed, which is okay for a year zero situation, but uh, Eileen Wright guy, um, they're hmm. projected 51st on Torvik. And if they actually achieve that, they should be squarely on the bubble. Hmm. Uh, that would be a good recovery in year two to me where you go. I know Brandon's year two, they were about 51st to 55th, depending on the projection or no, the um, the system you look at. Mm. And they would have made the tournament in all likelihood as an 11 or 12 seed. If you do that in year two after the program more or less collapsed under itself, I think that's a solid, solid step in the right direction. But if you get to year's end and they're like the sixth best team in the American or lower, I think that's cause for concern down the road because – to me, Cincinnati, I know that things aren't so hot right now, but that's a program that should, like, every single year be in the top three, no worse than top four in the American. Yeah, and well, that's the thing. This is it. They're going to Big 12 next year. Like, do you yeah. think that they're in for a rude awakening with it, with where Wes Miller has this program going into the, the Big 12 next year? Well, no, I mean, I think it's just – it takes some time to build, but – I, the faster he can find a guy like Isaiah Miller, like he had at UNCG, the better. And if they can make the tournament this year, I think that's going to, you know, soothe a lot of concerns people might have heading into a conference change. Mm. Interesting. Well, we shall see. I think he's the right guy, but we're going to see if he's going to be able to win big. Like that's, that's a question. I don't know if he's that kind of guy. We'll, we'll see um, to this point. 
what I also think is very interesting is there's a really good piece on CBSSports.com by Kyle Boone uh, highlighting four returning uh, players who could be college basketball's breakout stars in 2023. I was surprised when I looked at this, and I, I'm sure you might have been as well, with Trey Alexander, Chris Murray, um, I'm going to leave one off, uh, <laughs> Kirk Riza, and then uh, our own, Zakai Ziegler. Of the big four, very surprised to see uh, Zakai pop up on this list. But of the big four and of this list, who stood out to you? And do you agree with all four? Or where are you at with them? I, I'm fine with all four. It's the whole naming breakout pieces is a little hard for me to do when it's just like breakout pieces are inherently huge surprises. Mm. So it's like nobody could have seen foreseen Ziegler being what he was last season, for instance. Mm. So I think the real breakout guy is going to be one of those. It's like people are like, oh, don't expect too much. And then suddenly he's like all Big Ten or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But the obvious pick to me that I really like uh, and would recommend is Chris Murray at Iowa. Mm. Um, This is pretty insane to me. But he, uh, I looked into this because it was on the MGO blog podcast. There, Mm. uh, Brian Cook brought it up. He was like, I can't think of anybody in America who plays less minutes uh, but has the usage rate and offensive rating Chris Murray has. He's just like, Fran McCaffrey, what are you doing? Because at mm. the time it was like 122 with a 25% usage rate, which is, those are like Luca Garza numbers. So crazy, crazy good. And he was playing 16 minutes a game. Uh, the reason for this is because he is a terrible defender. <laughs> But but I was never really cared about that. And that's the thing mm. for all the all the college football people, you know, go all crazy for Ole Miss or teams like that. The teams that could not care about defense, but are just like a joy to watch because they're, they're like, let's win games 59, 54. That's Iowa to me. I love watching Iowa. And I know what a sicko mm. statement that is <laughs> because nobody should love watching any Iowa team, frankly. Mm-hmm. The, the vibes there are never good. The football team is disgusting and Fran McCaffrey just gives off the vibes of like a really angry guy at a school board meeting. But um, Chris Murray to, I mean, to bring the point back, Chris Murray really feels like he could have the same season Keegan had maybe a little lower. It's kind of hard to repeat that, Mm. but I mean, 55% on twos, 39% on threes already had a really good, you know, offensive rating to usage ratio scores at every level of the floor. If they can get him to not commit as many fouls, because he was at 5.5 per 40 last year and not be a total zero defensively, like just be in the right position. Mm. I mean, because honestly, if you're in the right position, that's a start. So, because other than that, I don't think you want to be relying on Patrick McCaffrey, who's not a bad player by any stretch, but shouldn't be like a number one or number two. Or a Philip Probraca, who is a fine center, but nothing wonderful. Uh, I would love to see a season where Fran and Iowa are just like, Chris Murray, we need you to score 29 tonight to beat Illinois. And he says, okay, I will score 37 and we will still lose. That's what I'm looking for from Iowa. So, yes, I think Chris Murray is the type of guy who breaks out, has an all Big Ten season. Um, plays on a team of no real consequence but one that i still end up watching like 75 percent of their games somehow uh so yeah that's my pick but i mean ziggler is a good uh argument too though my big question with him from a tennessee perspective is how does he transition from like six man 
microwave yeah. roll to starter. Also, are we sure he starts? Um, he kind of has to, I think. If you okay. want to do the lineup that I want to do where Kamwa's at the five. Yeah, but Barnes is a certain Kamwa at the five. Is he? He will by season's end. I don't think he will in November. Yeah. But Plavs I mean, is I mean, starting, man. Plavs is... You better get ready. Plavs is in that starting five role to start off this season, I'm going to guess. I, I He'll start but play like 12 minutes a game. It'll be something yeah. like that. I don't know. My gut still gonna... says it's Plavs, uh, Triple J, Kumwa, uh, Phillips, and Vescovy to start. It's still I, I think Tyreek Key really... I mean, this is sort of transitioning to the Tennessee section, but... yeah. I really think Tyreek Key might start. Um, all indications hmm. from the hashtag sources I have are that he is a lot stronger and more well built for SEC play than they initially realized. Like he's just, hmm. you know, how they're like, I wouldn't call them little dudes, but like six foot four or shorter guys in basketball that just look like beefy. Yeah, like they're. they're their physique does not stand out. They look like Wisconsin offensive linemen, but they're just like beef and they don't go down ever. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it looks like for him. And the picture of him uh, doing a trap deadlift of 475 sort of locked that in. Yeah. He's like an Alabama running back. Screaming in his face for some reason. I don't think I don't deadlift like I used to, you know, two or three years ago, but there's not really been a point in my life where I wanted someone screaming at me as I'm lifting (laughs) heavy weights. So I don't feel like that's helpful. Maybe it is for some guys, but I'm trying to imagine know. you wanting anyone screaming at you. You're a very calm man, Will. I don't see you being that kind of guy. Uh, yeah, being yelled at is not something I enjoy. But have you ever like in a game? Have you ever been? Or do you get loud in a pickup game? Have you? Do you yell at all? At myself, I if okay. I if I miss like a three, I will get annoyed with myself. But mm. uh, no, I don't really yell. At, I don't. I'm not a trash talker. I don't really bark at other people. I know this is going to come as a huge surprise. <laughs> um, I I don't think I've ever really dealt out any trash talk. Um, you never slap the floor like regard. Michigan State. Never, you know. Oh, I've definitely done that. AAU is built for that. Oh yeah. You got to do that. When you're in a tournament, you're in game three and you're exhausted <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night in some random high school gym. Now you're banging on the floor, sir. You're, I, I've, you're... I've argued with people before, mm. but never. I don't think I've ever yelled. At, I, okay. Exception. I did yell at a guy when I got elbowed in the face, but I think that's defensible. Yeah. He was doing a post move. I caught an elbow to the nose. And I was just like, what the hell? Because I was like, that doesn't belong in this church gym, bro. Come on. <laughs> I uh I never I don't think I've ever well never mind I'd have to think about this I've definitely trash talked but it's a lot of whispering and a lot of like one on one like we're up and like guarding each other really up close trying to push each other off or this dude's hold my shirt and like stuff like that I'm coming off a screen or like I'm full court pressing as I've uh, peak chase pickup years uh, full court <laughs> press guy. Uh, did not want to play pickup with me because we were going to win. Uh, <laughs> some people say I had that dog in me, but uh, I, I, I have been told that I am the most annoying player to be guarded uh, by. Hmm. Because Why? I, so I'm not very good at offense. I I, I would assume I you would be good at free, offense. I'm sorry? I, I, I would have assumed you'd be a good shooter. I, I can shoot, but I get very streaky. So there, there mm. are stretches of games where I'll go like 0 for 10 over the course of four games from mm-hmm. deep, and I just can't find the bucket. But and those, like, I use all of my energy on defense, and I'm just, it's like mm. my personal mission to ensure my guy does not score, which is, 
maybe that's why I got elbowed in the face. I don't know. But my pet peeve too was like I remember I would get so frustrated when I would like because I would like try and orchestrate offenses and I would set screen and I would be like just go like I would that's when I would yell is like <laughs> what are you doing like the back door is right there like what are you doing like they are not watching like this dude is watching this dude right there right there and they're just like it's not that serious and I'm like what's the point like I, I hate the whole standing around and doing nothing and just passing the ball around the perimeter and then maybe feeding it inside to this guy who is not moved and posting up like it's 1996 and you're just like, what are we doing? So when they don't use a pick or do anything like that, that would drive me up the wall, up the wall, man. See, I, w- I was at my gym the other day and mm. there's a pickup game going as I was walking the end of a track and all 10 people were inside the perimeter in an offensive possession. And I was just mm. thinking like the spacing on this is so bad. <laughs> I love nobody's it. getting a good shot off on this one no um tennessee's non-conference schedule sucks well it's uh we made fun of the texas a&m one and now we have to suck it up and deal with yep. everybody making fun of tennessee's but so but i really think not good well the thing is i think it's better than it looks Simply because TBD could easily mean Kansas in the battle for Atlantis, who I just Hmm. trashed, but I do think is a legit top 20 side. Uh, And like, I mean, Colorado, I think is going to be a little bit better. USC is going to be frisky. I think they're a tournament team. But the obvious highlights of this schedule, barring playing Kansas, are at Arizona in mid-December and drawing Texas at home in the Big 12 crossover. Everything else is just kind of lame, like Maryland's digging out of a hole. Florida Gulf Butler's, Coast would have been cool a couple of years ago. Yeah, Butler Butler's in year zero. Um, but also not here. And that's the other thing. It's like Colorado's in Nashville. Um, yeah, which, that's Maryland's real. in Brooklyn. So those are the big ones, too. It's like I'd be a little bit better if I'm like, man, I really don't have a reason to go to a Tennessee basketball game until like January, it looks like, at home to for the most part. Yeah, and the the killer is that the the buy games in Tennessee. It is a little mm. strange when you think about it because Tennessee has been good about this in the past. Of like the buy games are on occasion fairly frisky, like SoCon teams. Like they've played Furman at home before, Mercer, Samford, like pretty good SoCon sides. And this year's are the buy games are Tennessee Tech, Florida Gulf Coast, McNeese State, Alcorn State, Eastern Kentucky, and Austin P. If mm. any one of those games is within 10 points at the end, I will be shocked hmm. and dismayed. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Florida Gulf Coast is moderately interesting. Uh, they reasonably could battle for their conference title with Liberty and whatnot, but uh, it doesn't really get me going. Um, Tennessee's refusal to play Belmont is a source of annoyance, to be honest. I wish they would just do it. Um, and honestly, the same with... Uh, UTC or uh, MTSU just play those teams that's more interesting than drawing Tennessee Tech and Austin P and no offense to graduates of those two schools but your basketball teams are not good you're not wrong there though I do appreciate the game on my birthday November 7th who's who's that I don't have it in front of me Tennessee Tech a nice little 28 point win to go into an early bedtime nothing like a good birthday lights out by when will warren on your birthday this year uh, wait i uh, on november 7th that's a wait that is um interesting that's a monday so they traditionally start stuff on tuesday right 
So that'll that'll be interesting. I wonder if they're planning. That is strange. They typically start the season on a Tuesday, so it seems like they'll start yeah. it on a Monday this year. What was that all nighter they used to call it? They don't do that really anymore. Uh, it was it was a twenty four hour thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was called Midnight Madness because that's just what every school calls their yes. preseason thing. But it was something to that. I'll never forget uh, the two grandmothers shown in the crowd chugging Monster. Do you remember that? No. Where she passed. It was a Wichita <laughs> State awesome. game. The I need to send you this, but she like pat like one of them has a monster energy, and she takes a sip, and it's just like, Ugh, and then passes it back to the the grandmother who loves monster energy. So okay, um, so it was just called the twenty four hour college hoops tip off marathon. Not very exciting, but it's a I really do easy remember, one to say. <laughs> I, yeah, I do remember because they started it when I was in high school, and I would like flip it on before I had to go to school and. You know, a game between, I don't know, Bryant and Valparaiso had just ended. Mm. Also, and, this was nine years ago. Something of that sort. And, uh, and it was like, oh, this is cool to be watching at 6.45 a.m. And uh, I, was a, I was a younger man then who didn't know anything about Ken Palm. So I was just like, oh, cool, basketball, 6.45 a.m. Without realizing it's probably like 2.78 versus 2.51. Mm-hmm. Well, I just sent it to you, Will Warren. A gif from the video i think it will <laughs> let's see if it loads monster or that one might work oh i see it now <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh that's good i don't remember this that was uh, that's like the biggest thing I remember from the twenty four hour stuff was just that and just the face and just uh, thinking about old women chugging Rockstar energy drinks. It's just uh, what you did back then. Uh, uh, they were built Greg different. Marshall's, Greg Marshall's wife brought like forty packs of those in. Yeah. As Cleese the dog makes her way back in, she was fed and now she's back ready to pod. Um, we end on this our Kim Palm season review series. Will Warren. The Texas Longhorns with Chris Beard, first-year coach. Good team. Uh, looks like they're heading in the right direction here under Beard. Obviously, had a bunch of success at uh, Texas Tech. Uh, moving over this year. Big transfer get. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Do Where, where are you at with Texas? Because there's a lot of Texas love going into next year for the Longhorns. Yeah, um, they're interesting. Uh, last year's team was a really fascinating experiment and how much the portal can do for you. Because I think the stat was it was either four or 6% of scoring they brought back from the final Shaka team. Mm-hmm. And they went and signed out like all the portal all-stars. So you had mm-hmm. Trey Mitchell, you had um, the UMass guy that immediately trained, or no, the Minnesota guy that immediately transferred yes. out. You, uh, you had like a bunch of interesting guys who, you know, we're not like I guess it's so in a, the Minnesota guys. I can't believe I'm blinking on his name right now. This is embarrassing. Marcus Carr. Yeah. Um. You had like and Timmy Allen and guys like that. You had a bunch of Christian Bishop from Creighton too. Guys who were like one A one B or two A even three at their previous schools. And the idea was to build the portal all star team. Mm-hmm. And you know pair it with like Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, and some scraps and see how it worked out. And you know they entered the season like top five in Torvik, 14th in Ken Palm. And really the expectations are even higher publicly. I think I remember them getting as high as like fifth or sixth in the AP poll. Um, 
And it just never came together in the way I think people thought it would. They were never bad by any stretch. But, you know, you they made it to January 29th before they beat a top 30 team in Kent Palm. And that was Tennessee by one point. They they really didn't accumulate a second signature win until mid-February when they beat Kansas. Lost in the first round of the Big 12 Conference Tournament and parlayed all of that talent into a sixth seed in the big dance where they lost by double digits to Purdue in the second round. I think it was, you know, it's hard to call, it's really strange to call year one a disappointment when you finish top 15 with a team that had not touched top 15 in quite some time under Shaka. Uh, Their best Ken Palm finish in 12 years uh, since the Barnes era and a top 15 defense, top 30 in offense, they did a lot of things right, but the problem is, one, they closed by losing four of their final five, and two, when the expectations were that you would be like an Elite Eight Final Four competitor and you can't even crack the second weekend, it feels pretty underwhelming. And to go with all of that subjectively, I thought their offense was pretty rough to watch. I mean, the Tennessee game sticks out because it was obvious. Uh, it was an obviously terrible game, but mm-hmm. I mean – 215th in three-point percentage, barely above the national average at two-point percentage. They never really had a guy who could take over the game. Carr was supposed to be that, but was honestly a little underwhelming. Timmy Allen was about the closest they got. Andrew Jones was fine, but I, I don't know. I think they've got a build on last year where they were not bad by any means, but they weren't what we thought they could be. Um, and they, they return, you know, about half the scoring from last year's team. Unsurprisingly, given that it's Chris Beard, they add a couple portal pieces. But I think this year's team coming in is more well-rounded and more rational than last year's because it was like, uh, I don't know. I don't envy any coach who has, you know, whatever it was, nine or ten new pieces and has to spin that immediately into what people think should be a Final Four contender. That's fair. Um, so what do you think ultimately? Do you think they're a better team this year than last year? Or do you think they'd take a step back? I think they're better. Um, mm-hmm. Allen is back for, I think it's a super senior year. Same with Carr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan Carr, Mitchell, I feel like has played college basketball for a really long time. Yeah. Dylan Mitchell, uh, Tennessee target who did not come to Tennessee, uh, comes in one of the most intriguing freshmen out there. Arterio Morris, also a really interesting freshman. Bishop is back. Dylan Daisu is back. Uh, he has not beaten the allegations of being terrible at defense. Uh, but the most interesting addition and the main draw from the portal this year, Tyrese Hunter from Iowa State. Yeah. What a huge, huge get. Another guy um, Tennessee wanted. Yeah, one Tennessee wanted. Could be the Big 12 assist leader. Uh, instantly a really fascinating piece who I think the numbers honestly undersell. Um, part of that is influenced by the fact that uh, his best performance of the entire season came in the NCAA tournament against uh, LSU. But this is a guy who is a legitimately fantastic uh, point of attack defender, in my opinion. You know, had one of the highest steals rates for point guards in the country. If he can become a more consistent shooter and a more consistent scorer in general, Texas has a real legit chance to be like a top seven, top eight team. And I, you know, I don't think it's really underselling it to say like they're going to enter the season as a top 10 squad. Uh, Lenardi has them, I think, as the second three seed. I mean, that's a lot of talent. And given that it's Chris Beard and we know what Chris Beard can do, I think it's okay to sort of 
side with the idea that he's going to work this out pretty well. Absolutely. Well, well, we did it. Another episode in the books. What can the good folks <laughs> check out from you at statsbywill.com, statsbywill on Twitter? What uh, would you like to like wrap up here tonight? Uh, nothing new this week. I'm tossing around the idea of a couple of different pieces. One that I will say I'm interested in, and I kind of want to gauge public reaction on if it is of interest to anybody other than my brain, is the idea of profiling what I like to call beef ball which is teams that like can't shoot, but are just mm. monsters on the boards and rack up a ton of free throws, like okay. more or less Bob Huggins, West Virginia. Right. But I want to see like one, why? Cause that style of play was everybody when I was young. Like that was just the average style of play when I was 10, but it's really fallen out of style. There's only a few teams that do it effectively anymore. And I'll say like, you know, what are the common threads there? How does this sustainable you know, does this work in the tournament? Does it obviously dry up when people realize you can't hit shots? So something like that could be fun to explore. There you go. Will Warren, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you as always. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. We're back here on the Chase Most Podcast, the Wednesday, August 10th, uh, 2022 edition here on the podcast. Trillboro Dude is here. The man, Trillboro Dude. I just love saying that because I'm like, oh, who's in the pod? It's like Trillboro Dude. And they're like, what are you talking about? And it's like Trillboro Dude. And I, I tell my fiance, it's a Trillboro Dude. And she's like, well, that's not a real person. It's like, no, it's a Rolls real off the tongue. Yes. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Doing well. Uh, we are past the busy part of the off season. We're kind of just clinging to whatever Kevin Durant drama that rolls around uh, every few days. And I've been, you know, cutting back a little bit. I was in deep in the slop in the early in the, in the off season, the first month I was streaming multiple times a week, doing multiple podcasts. I've cut back a little bit, but now I'm able to relax and enjoy and really just, you know, get ready for the, the next season. Well, um, I'm curious now that you know, and it's very much apparent that um, what happened with James Harden and the Sixers and the contract negotiations and everything that happened there um, was at the very least unbelievably unethical, uh, Trillboro dude. Uh, how do you live with your team building strategy in Philadelphia and the way that you guys went to get Daniel House and then PJ Tucker, the means through which? You try and win a championship. How dare you, sir? Well, I do think it's a little bit of karma for the league overthrowing Sam Hinkie and Mm. giving us Brian Colangelo and Jerry Colangelo and that disaster of those few years that pretty much messed up the window that we have now. And like like between the Colangelo front office and the one after that, just like blew all of the assets that Hinky had built up. So it's a little bit of karma that we're able to kind of stick it back to the league in that way. Uh, the other way around it is I look at it like this, like it, ob- obviously they were, they were tampering or whatever. The PJ Tucker stuff came out like, I allegedly, swear, like uh, allegedly, allegedly mm-hmm. tampering. They were, they were clearly, there were things going on behind the scenes, but I, Look, I I said it like this. I definitely think that they'll probably get fined. They'll probably get they'll probably lose a second round pick or whatever. 
The only thing that differs from like your usual tampering thing here is if they find out that there was a handshake deal for Harden to get max money next year. Mm. Because that would be there's no precedent for that, really. Like it happens, but there's really no precedent for a max player to have a handshake behind the scenes to say, hey, we'll we'll take care of you in a year from now if you just take a pay cut this year so we can have a little bit it's salary cap circum uh vision really like it, it's not like like this kind of stuff generally i don't think that anyone's lost a first round pick since like the timberwolves with the joe smith thing i don't know if you remember that that was like 20 years ago at this the last point, joe but. smith thing i remember is twitter trying to figure out whether or not joe smith on twitter was actually joe smith on twitter oh no I do you remember that I don't know. He was a verified. I don't know if that's still a thing, but a couple of years ago, people were trying to figure out if Joe Smith on Twitter, because I think he was he was tweeting some takes and stuff like that. And they're like, this can't be Joe Smith. And it was like a whole thing of trying to figure out if the verified Joe Smith Twitter account was actually Joe Smith or not. I never got a full answer on that one. I don't think it was like back in the day when people used to like 10, 15 years ago when people would just be Facebook fan pages and they just like, I, I was watching a beef history. I don't know if you've ever watched that, mm. but they, they did the uh, Deshaun Stevenson who played, who had the beef yes. with LeBron James. Uh, mm. He, the other Stevenson that had a beef with LeBron. He, right. uh, he, this is Mavs Heat, correct? Yes, Mavs Heat. Mm. And there was someone that just had a Facebook page that was not him at all. And they just came out and they were talking all crazy stuff about LeBron on his Facebook page and he had to come out and be like, that's not me. That's just a fan that like has like 10,000 followers on Facebook and pretends to be me. But yeah, no, that's wild. Yeah. Different, different time, man. There was a different different time time. there. Well, so how does that affect what the Sixers do next summer? Like, can they not, do they have to change the way they go about the contract negotiations with Harden? Or is it just like, we dare you to come after us? Cause like, how are you going to prove this? There's no paper trail. There's no, like, how are you going to prove any of this? You would hope that they didn't put anything in writing and it was just mm. kind of a wink wink deal like that from the Sixers perspective, obviously, uh, you know, next year we weren't going to have salary cap and salary cap space anyway. Joel Embiid's mm. new contract kicks in. He's going to make like $50 million. This was the last time that we would even really have a clean route to getting the mid-level exception and the biannual exception, which is what we use to sign PJ Tucker and Daniel House. Mm -hmm. So this was really the last time until probably 2025 that we could have a clear route to like getting actual space to sign guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next year, Tobias Harris is going to be on the last year of his deal. He makes a ton of money. Uh, You know, James Harden will... come back hopefully i mean he'll either opt into his deal next year or as everyone expects he'll probably resign so next year the space wasn't really attainable so they kind of viewed this year as like the last year to get a few more two more clearly role players that would fit around joel and james harden and tyrese maxi and then next year the hope is that they can move off of tobias harris's expiring contract and maybe attach a pick or or attach a young player and a pick and get back multiple role players on smaller contracts. So I think they look at th- they look at this year as like we'll use the exceptions while we can. Next year we'll trade Tobias Harris and his money and get a few smaller contracts that might be tradable and also just might be a little bit better of a fit around the core guys that we have. And then from there in a few years, eventually, this is very down the line, Tyrese Maxey will need to be extended. And at the same time, the Sixers could potentially get cap space and, and have another run if 
James Harden ages out or whatever happens, and they'll have a lot of flexibility in a few years from now. Well, I'm just concerned where the money is, uh, what kind of money they have left to bring back Jail Green, Isaiah Cannon. Um, I'm trying to think of some <laughs> other Rockets from that time period where they're trying to recreate a, a new Gordon. version. Of I mean, yeah, that's yeah, we, yeah. It's that was Tobias Harris for Eric Gordon. <laughs> yeah, well, that's we would have to at this point because yeah. of the because we're hard capped, so we can't take on Eric Gordon's salary without sending out a ton of salary. So yeah, yeah, it would have to be something like that. I I personally think they're probably done making any major moves. I think that any move that would happen now is if the Jazz decide to blow it up, and uh, they already kind of started that with the Rudy Gobert trade, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. If the Jazz decide to move on from Donovan Mitchell this offseason and then they have a bunch of role players like Patrick Beverly and Bojan Bogdanovic and guys that would fit on the Sixers, then in that case, I think that would probably be the only time where maybe you're moving some smaller salaries. Matisse Thibel, Furkan Korkmaz. Pat Bev and Joel Embiid on the same team is just uh, a lot for a playoff series. That's a lot. We're, tr- we're just trying to get dogs. We're, we're trying mm-hmm. to be, we had no dogs last year. We're trying to get, we got PJ Tucker. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's a good start. You know, Daniel House is a dog. We we, we got, uh, we have, you know, a, a litter of, of puppies now. We have right. a few, we have a few dogs, but we need to get to the point where we got a whole pound. And right now right. I've, I've been pounding the table to get Patrick Beverly. A lot of people are, against the idea of signing well you just you acquired d'anthony melton like what's the point of d'anthony melton if you're going after pep at this point so my whole thing has been this is that the sixers still even though they have pj tucker tobias harris daniel house like their their wing depth is still like shaky compared to like the top elite teams right Mm. so like the celtics have great wings jason tatum jalen brown you know the Bucks have Giannis and Chris Middleton. You know, Giannis can be a wing or a big, whatever you want him to be. Mm. So I, my whole thing has been, it, like, instead of trying to go get wings, like really good wings who never become available, for example, a guy like OG Ananobi, the price tag on him this offseason, he did not get traded, but the price tag was going to be the seventh pick, Josh Hart, a future first, and another rotation player. Like, mm. You can't get those guys in trades, so you might as well just try to get as many guards that have long wingspans that can defend, that can shoot, that can dribble, that can do the things that Melton can do and Pat Bev can do, but they also can guard up. Like, a lot of people don't talk about it, but, like, Patrick Beverly can guard one through three pretty comfortably, even though he's a smaller guard, and Melton can too. So I do think that if you're going to put your resources into acquiring more players. It's fine to have maybe one too many guards as long as they're like a guard wing, like a G wing, basically like a guard that can like pretend to be a wing. So that, that was the thought behind getting Patrick Beverly, because right now I think that like the Sixers have one of the best guard rotations in the NBA between Harden, Maxi, and Melton. And then if you have Patrick Beverly as like your fourth guard who can play one, two and a little bit of three because and same with Melton, then I think you just have a little bit more versatility and you have a little bit more just like guys that, you know, can play in the playoffs. And what the Sixers have really lacked. And yeah, you know, some of it is Joel Embiid getting injured. Some of it is just the team not being good enough with high end talent. Another part of that is that they haven't had rotation players. I mean, you're a Hawks fan, you know, you watch like we had old ass George Hill out there and Furkan Korkmaz and guys who like they're 
fine rotation players during the regular season coming off your bench. But like if they're playing in the playoffs, you're probably screwed. And this year we had the same problem. So I just think acquiring as many good defensive guys that can play guard and maybe play up a little bit and play wing uh, isn't the worst thing in the world when you're preparing for the playoffs. Mm. Now you have me thinking about DeJounte Murray versus Joel Embiid next year, like in a playoff series. DeJounte Murray just out He's here ruining rookies, ruining their <laughs> lives. Uh, like I think that Paul man doesn't right. care. Yeah, he'll, he'll be all right. He, I think he, he was the best player from this past draft. So, Ooh, okay. I think it's a possibility. But, he went uh, one. I mean, I, I was pounding the table for him going one for months. It never The Jabari Smith thing never made any sense to me. Hmm. We'll see. I don't know. I, I just everything. It just it's so funny to me, like the draft stuff where people it, it just you go through it and people every year. It's like, oh, well, like everyone in the top four did well, like they did great. And it's like, well, two at least two of these guys are not working out and we'll be I on team number two. Like, that's not how this works. So it's or like, at least like in the context of what you expect from a top four pick. Yes. Like Andrew like, Wiggins didn't like Andrew Wiggins is not a number of uh, your average number one overall pick. But six yeah. or seven years into his career, he figured it out and became a very good player. Look at the rest of that draft. What, what year was that? 2014. What? 2014. Okay. All right, we're going to pull this up real quick. Jokic, uh, Marcus Look. Smart. Uh, the top, I can tell you the top four right now. Jabari was Wiggins, two. Jabari's Parker. out of the league, yeah. basically. Uh, mm-hmm. You got Aaron Gordon, definitely not a number four overall. Dante Exum, I mean, bouncing around, hanging on for dear life. He's Marcus done. Smart, not a number six overall guy. I don't know if you think about the average number six pick i think marcus smart is about around that right and also like hmm. just one defensive player of the year very cool yeah. piece on a very very good team you could argue he's as good as their third best player he's probably their fourth best player like i think that i think that the top you're at like your high end top six pick in the draft yeah he's not that but he's about probably a little bit above average even for that pick i would say i would say once you get out of the top three or four like it's really just like a crapshoot that's fair and when you go back to this this is a pretty good draft overall it's not a bad draft uh overall zach levine was a little bit later yes. in the lottery you had uh, julius randall was top 10 i believe mm-hmm. um yeah, Sarich, yeah, that was that was an okay. The second Clint round Kella of that went draft, late. The second uh, round Kyle of that Anderson draft is like late. one of the greatest ever. Yeah, it was like uh Spencer Jimmy Jokic, Jeremy Grant. Yeah, there was a lot of Dwight Powell, really Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, a lot of yeah. dudes in the second round. Yeah. Um Christian was a really good player at Xavier, but uh, did not work out in the in the league. Um but when you turn look when you look at actual fit though, in terms of House and Tucker trill bro dude um how does that how do they actually fit do you like a closing lineup with pj tucker and the current roster does he fit are you worried about spacing at all with where pj tucker fits was he a missing piece when you look at this roster how does that affect the guys who are already in the building from last year well i just look at it like who is he replacing right Mm. because as much as i love danny green and as important as danny green really was for the sixers this last two years like I think people tend to think of the Lakers uh, when the fans all hated him and all of that stuff. But like, you know, Danny was older and he wasn't moving quite like he did when he was on the Spurs or the Raptors even. But he was still a very good help defender, hit a ton of corner threes for us, was a good relocator. Like, And just because the Sixers' wing depth has been so bad was an incredibly important player. Like both years in the playoffs – that he played for us, he got hurt. And when he was out, we were just screwed. Like we just didn't even have like another replacement level starting forward, uh, small forward that we could plug in there. And with PJ, 
I look at it like as good as Danny was, I definitely think if PJ plays the way he did in Miami, he's definitely an upgrade over Danny. Defensively, he's very good on the ball, off the ball. He's going to help a lot on that end. He's a much, much better rebounder than Danny Green, which is something that we've really, really needed on this team, especially after the Harden trade. We just need as many positive, good rebounders on the court to kind of extend possessions, get us second chances, get us out running. We just absolutely did not have that. And if you watch the Heat series, a lot of those, like, so early in the series and late in the series, outside of the first two games when Joel Embiid came back, the Sixers were getting absolutely dominated on the glass. And the Heat were just hustling their asses off. And that's what the Heat do. And they kind of put the Sixers in a position to expose their weaknesses on the glass. And I think PJ will definitely help in that regard. Like, it's crazy to say because he's 37 years old, but like, PJ can still guard some of the best players in the NBA. He's incredibly good moving his feet in space. I mean, he was getting switched onto Trey in the in the Hawk series and held his own. So, we don't have to talk about that series. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's just good to have positive defenders that can do mo- like that are uh, versatile, can switch, can play in multiple schemes. He's gonna fight over screens like he's a very very good defender still and offensively actually weirdly enough at 36 years old just had the best year of his career offensively with the heat was back to hitting threes again was able to do a little bit of passing off of the short roll was able to he he added a floater and finger roll like to his game it didn't really make any sense to me that it took this long to figure this stuff out but i definitely think pj will be an upgrade the only thing i worry about is just his age like does he Mm. age out in the next two years and does it is it the danny green experience again where you get a good good useful player but maybe past this physical prime and because of that they they're not quite as effective when you get deeper into the playoffs it's interesting, too, when you talk about the boards and there was so much made about that series with, I mean, Doc was obviously frustrated about the Paul Reed questions and stuff like that. And the thing I always went back to with that where I was like, they don't have like, I don't know if this was shared by a lot of Sixer fans, but I looked at it uh, from the outside looking in where I'm like, Doc's screwed either way. Like, he knows that, like, it doesn't matter who gets those minutes. Not having Joel Embiid is what sure. ultimately matters here. And like yeah. it doesn't matter if he picks DeAndre Jordan or he picks Paul Reed. It does not matter. Y'all are like looking at this thing. He looks at it as like, it doesn't really matter. Like we're screwed without those without Joel Embiid in that moment. And like him being out, like we are does not matter where we go here. Like when Joel well, yeah. Embiid goes down, that's it. Well, that's that's kind of what I have been saying, but at the same time, like the Sixers always have had this, like Sixers fans, Sixers media, the NBA media has this idea that the Sixers have a backup center problem. Yeah. They just have a best player on the bench problem when Joel and <laughs> yeah. is not on the court. Like it's the same thing that you guys experience with Trey when he goes to the bench. Like everyone's like, oh, the Hawks offense falls off a cliff because they don't have a backup point guard. And I'm like, well, Trey Young's like a top five offensive player in the NBA when you put him on the bench your offense is going to be significantly worse. That's just kind of how these things work. And with Joel, it's the same thing. But the the major difference and the thing that was really frustrating for Sixers fans was the fact that, uh, one, none of us ever wanted to sign DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, Mm -hmm. if you have watched him the past three years, is, for my, my opinion, the worst veteran player in the NBA. And that's not an exaggeration. Like, 
He cannot do anything. Good vibes guy, though. Stars love him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Like, yeah, like he's a good locker room guy, whatever. He but... should be in the Udonis Haslam role. Like, why are we not doing that everywhere? Just so the honestly, I, that's what I'm thinking. The Nuggets hopefully brought him in for, yeah. for for their fan's sake, because he can just not he just cannot play anymore. And yeah. If we knew the second we signed him, I was working a shift that night and my coworkers were like, why do you care so much about this veteran minimum guy getting signed? Like, it's not a big deal. Like, and I was like, no, it is a big deal because Doc is our coach and Doc loves veterans and Doc will never, ever, ever give up on one of his guys ever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We, he, he could be the worst player in the NBA, which he was when he was on the Sixers. And we absolutely bled points anytime he played. And he would still get an opportunity over one of the younger guys. So our biggest frustration wasn't that we and, and Maury's definitely to be blamed for that as well. I mean, Maury could have said, no, we're not signing him, even though he's friends with Doc and all that stuff. Like. There's that element of it. And then. Like, we also had Paul Millsap, who's super old and wash, was a very good player at one point. But, like, both of them are just way past their physical primes to the point where they're unplayable. Like, he couldn't do anything remotely positive on on an NBA court. And because of that, we were like, why don't you just give Paul Reed the backup minutes, see how he is, and then by the time the playoffs come around, you're not scrambling like you did last year in the playoffs where you're you're putting out 11 guys in a Game 7 against the Hawks because you never figured out your rotation in the regular season. And he didn't do that, and then he threw Paul Reed into the fire in the Raptors series, and Paul is good enough and talented enough that he survived and like was actually good in that series and was actually pretty good in the Heat series too, other than the fouling problems. But like our biggest thing was like Reed and Bassey, the other backup center we have, like th- they should have gotten an opportunity. We should not have five centers on the roster and you're playing clearly the two worst players because they're older and you trust them or whatever. So that was our biggest frustration. It wasn't even necessarily like like if we didn't have Joel, we had to get crazy three point luck or have Harden or Maxi go off or have something crazy happen for us to win one of those games in Miami. But having Doc as your coach, like you're just never going to get those young guys getting developed and, and being ready by the time the playoffs come around. And he's going to just throw them into the fire last second. And uh, usually that doesn't work out. Shout out to Doc, though. <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize he's right behind you. Nice. Hawks I brought him did, in just for you. Yeah. Did he make the all-star team on the Hawks or was that on the Knicks? That's a good question. I don't think he made the all-star team in the Hawks, but I could I be wrong. he made the all-star team once. I can't remember if it was on the Hawks or the Knicks. That's a good question. I should know this if I'm going to put him up on – it was uh, – oh, no. Basketball this is going to take me too long. Page. Uh, yeah, Hold but it's on. taking me too long. It's going to the coach. I don't oh, care no, about the coach. Was coach but, because he's more known for being a coach than he is for as a player. Like it's true. Oh well, we'll figure it out later. Uh, apologies to to Doc behind us, but uh, thankfully we still got. He did Matt. make it. He made it with Atlanta. Yeah, there 19, you go. 1987. Uh, okay. He made it as a 26 year old, and there then he was like 30 by the time he got to the Knicks. So hmm. was not was not an all star. There you go. We also got Ben Matlock, my favorite attorney at law. Nice, nice. Love also, Mason. I'm sure Doc also loves them because he loves veterans. So. <laughs> We all we all used to joke that DeAndre Jordan was terrible during the games because he was so old he had to go to bed at five thirty. Hey, look, man, that, I think he's wrong. my age. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm like, he's so old anyway, where I'm also 32. So, I mean, that's where we're at. Like, I'm, man, man, you don't tell me. Like, I, like, I'm 31. Like, this is part of the deal now. And we talk about these old dudes and we're like, oh, no. Like, this is, I mean, I don't know if you're a college fan, but when you see some of this stuff and you're like, what year they were not around for 9 11? And you look I know, at it and you're like, crazy. Oh, oh, my God. It's absolutely nuts. Like, see, like, looking at even like pop stars, like when Olivia yeah. Rodrigo got famous, like, a year or two ago, whenever that was. I'll bite. Like, Who's Olivia Rodrigo? Oh, okay. Well, okay. In, in To be fair, I... I'm not I know actually she, joking. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. But I, what I was going to say was I wouldn't have known who she was either. She actually has some pretty good songs. I uh-huh. actually do. She's a good pop star. But okay. uh, I worked... I was a caterer for a year. And I used to go to weddings and they played her all the yeah. time. She had this really big song like a year ago called Good For You, which was mm. like... It got criticized because they thought that she ripped off a Paramore song in it, uh, Misery hmm. Business. Which, okay. Yeah. So get, check it out. Honestly, her songs, Driver's License, Deja Vu, and uh, Good For You, they're all they're all good songs. But she's there like 19, go. and I remember seeing the year she was born, and I was like, excuse me? What? <laughs> it's just weird. And yeah, it's just when we talk about veterans and old players now, it's a, it's a different. It hits different. It does. Over, dude. He's older uh, than us, though. He's 34. So, yeah, just to- <laughs> just to make us feel better about that. DeAndre Jordan's 34. Exactly. We talk about him like he's ancient, like 34, and he's only a couple years older What's than that us. that old tweet, right? You've yeah. seen that tweet. The, the oldest player in the league. Yes. How does he do it? <laughs> 33 years old. How does he even get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> i will say though there is some real stuff when you hit your 30s uh for the young folks i mean there's the certain parts that you just your body doesn't work like that anymore pickups out the it's door true. like certain yeah. things you're just like why does my back hurt today i That's was gonna good. say my back's gonna hurt literally just from sitting on this couch during this podcast and not yes all the way every back. podcast i do yeah it, it's now part of it when they're like it's oh. podcaster back it's a condition <laughs> it's real though podcasts are back is a real thing and you have to like i have to like conscientiously like remember how i'm sitting and like if you do like a couple yep. hours of the straight you're like oh my back screwed for a couple days um, well, luckily we both look young still so we got that going for us we do uh that that is true um so is matisse thibel just going to be on this roster next year have they just moved on is he just going to sneak into this group where they're like thibel's back um if I had to guess, uh, he's definitely going to start the year with the team would be my guess. Okay. Uh, honestly, here's the thing. I've never been a Matisse Thibel guy. Everyone loves to say now, oh, of course you don't love Matisse Thibel now because of the vaccine. And, that, and then I'm like, no, I've been pounding the table to trade Matisse Thibel for like a year and a half. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I very much do not like one-dimensional players. And like as amazing as he is defensively, his offense is just – in my opinion, never going to be good enough to stay on the court late in the playoffs. And if you are building a team to win a title, having a guy like him when he's on his rookie contract is fine, but Mm. now he's coming up on an extension, like he's going to get extended. And I mean, honestly, like if you had told me six months ago, I, the only reason I think I'd be okay with not trading him, which is an insane thing for me to say has been like being an anti Matisse guy for a while is that I don't think he's going to get paid in the way that he would have pre this playoffs, Hmm. like between the vaccine stuff and him not being able to play between the fact that he has shown his warts on the offensive end for two straight playoffs. Now between the fact that like some people think that he might not even just be like 
that good at all. Like, I don't think he's going to get a bag in the same way that I could have seen a year ago where a team would give him like maybe even like a Robert Covington type deal where Covington off his, his rookie contract got like four for 44 or something. Like I think Thibault's going to be looking more at like a mid-level exception type deal where he's making like, I guess that is the mid-level exception now, but uh, like the, Ta- like just above the taxpayer so like seven maybe eight million and if that's the case then i'm fine with him sticking around like players that make that much aren't really like you don't really have to depend on them all that much because they just don't take up that much of the cap but at the same time i would like to see like i prefer for them to trade him but i i always thought that if they were going to trade him it would be this offseason because once you you can extend him now because if you extend him his contract gets poison pilled which means that it makes it much harder to trade him uh for anyone who doesn't know what poison pilled is basically the amount of money that you're sending out is like you can't match contracts on that unless the other team has a trade exception basically because it just becomes like if we let's say we gave him a three for 30 extension then he would be 10 million dollars uh going into his next team but we'd only be able to accept back like two million dollars which is what he's making right now it's it's it just it makes it impossible to salary match so because of that I thought they would have tried to trade him this offseason. I think they did, but his values at an all-time low, and they decided whatever offers they got from like the Blazers and the Mavs and these teams that were interested in him, they decided ultimately that what they were getting back was just not good enough to really pull the trigger on that kind of move. So I think, if anything, he'll get traded at the deadline as an expiring. Whoever acquires him can still get like he's going to be a restricted free agent next year. So like if you're worried, as long as you're not worried about a team throwing like a a huge contract at him, you can bring him back on a pretty decent contract, I'm sure. So if you like Matisse Thibel, it's not a bad idea to trade for him. But ultimately, like the Sixers only have a handful of like matching salaries, like Furkan Korkmaz, George Niang, Thibel. There's like four or five guys they could cobble together to get to like a 15 to 17 million dollar player. And if you're making that kind of move, there's only a few guys in the league that would really be worth it to like give up Thibel and Korkmaz and Niang who like all can't play in the playoffs, but like our depth is going to be pretty incredible this year. Like I, I do think that that's one area where this team is just much better. Like between house and Melton, like literally take House, Melton, Tucker, whoever starting or or coming off the bench, whatever. Any three of those guys would have been our best bench player last year. And then you add in the fact that like you could have development from Paul Reed, who showed really good flashes last year and is a very talented, good young player. And then you're getting to like your 10th guy on the team before you even start to talk about Matisse Thibel. So the fact that like he will probably play a little bit less his offensive game won't matter as much. He, he definitely was fine with Harden in the regular season playing offensively. It was just really in the playoffs. The fact is, is that like the Sixers now, like guys who were our sixth man, our seventh man last year are going to be like our 12th, 13th men. And now it basically just creates a situation where like guys like Thibault, like you just don't really have to depend on them that much. And I think that that, that will probably be good for him moving forward i i just i i would be i would be pretty surprised if matisse Thibel a year from now is on the sixers so i guess i'll just leave it at that interesting we'll end on this 
Uh, what do you think ultimately is when you look at this roster and where they're at right now and who's going to be in the rotation and where they're going to go this upcoming year, what feels right to you? Do you think an NBA Finals appearance should be the expectation with this group? Or do you think right now they still probably have another move or two to make before they get there totally? Is it dependent on outside of the obvious two uh, caveats being uh, Harden and Embiid's health, but sure. Tyrese Maxey making one more leap as a player? Like, what? Where, where are you at with that? What do you think ultimately is fair? So I, I have I'm going to do a podcast eventually, which is going to be like the upside of the downside of this team. So like mm. the upside of this team is like. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much. I think Tyrese Maxey is good enough to be an all-star next year. Like, I think mm. that with his progression from year one to year two, the guys that are, that make those leaps statistically and just from the eye test, how much better he became as a shooter and a creator, those things tend to extend, at least get the guys in the conversation by their third year. So I think we could be sitting here and Tyrese Maxey and James Harden could both be all-stars or they could both be in the conversation. And Joel, obviously, it's all dependent on his health. So that's like the major swing piece. Harden, can he get back to even like not necessarily Houston Harden, but maybe like first year Nets Harden? That's an important piece of it, because I think you need that version of James Harden to be a legit contender in this Eastern Conference. Plus Maxi taking a step, plus Tobias Harris buying into his role like he did at the end of last season where his defense was much better. He was a much more willing catch-and-shoot guy. He was able to kind of make himself more into a role player as opposed to like kind of a fake star, which is what he kind of was before that. Um, and then the other piece there is like, is Daniel House the guy we saw when he played with Harden in Houston? Or is he the guy after Harden left Houston and he was terrible? And, you know, he, he kind of bounced around the league and just figured out a spot with the Jazz. So, like, the swing pieces are, like, does Tucker age out? You know, how – it's basically, like, those five or six guys. Like, can they buy into their roles? Can, can Maxi develop? Can Tucker stay as effective as he was in Miami? And if that's the case, I think that they'll be, like, a conference finals team. Or, like hmm. – at least have a shot at the conference finals, maybe the finals if they get some good injury luck. I still think Boston and Milwaukee are tier one in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. I think that Boston got better by getting Malcolm Brogdon. They could even get even better if they trade Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. So that is one of the things where it's like, it's kind of dependent on what happens with the Durant situation. If Durant goes somewhere in the Eastern Conference, like Miami or Boston, then I'm going to be concerned because then I think there's if Boston gets them, there's one very clear favorite to me. And then if Miami gets them like they're a tier above us and they probably join that th the, the, the top two and they become part of that top uh, tier. And then the Sixers are kind of the fourth team on the second tier by themselves. So I would view it as like top tier is Boston and Milwaukee who you just got to respect Milwaukee. They've already won a title. They have the best player in the NBA. They're a little bit thin, which is the one thing I worry about with them. And like their guys are getting up there in age too. So like, how is Brooke Lopez going to be? How is Drew Holiday going to be? I'm, I'm wondered with that. Uh, and then the second tier I would say is Miami and Philadelphia. I, I think that if Joel was healthy, the Sixers either could have won that series against Miami hmm. or they would have at least pushed it to seven. I mean, if you watch the series, the first two games, the Sixers were absolutely terrible without 
Joel, and they still kept it kind of close throughout. Uh, it wasn't really till the end of the series when everyone kind of ran out of gas and it was clear that Joel wasn't healthy, that the the wheels kind of fell off. I felt like they, they got themselves back into the series. So I would still say Miami and Philly are in that second tier by themselves. And then there's probably another drop off. And then that third tier has like you guys, Toronto, all those teams. So I feel good about them. I mean, to me, the most realistic outcome is probably another second round exit because they're probably going to run into Boston or Milwaukee in the second round. And if that's the case, unless they get the number one seed, if they get the number one seed, that's different. And I think they will be a really, really good regular. Which is possible, I think. I think it's definitely possible. I mean, I think this team is good enough to win 60 games, like depending on health. Uh, Mm. Like that's how good regular season wise, like Tobias Harris is a very good regular season player. James Harden is an amazing regular season player. Joel Embiid is, is, is an incredible regular season player. Like their best guys are really good in the regular season. So if you told me they won 55 to 60 games, obviously depending on health, I wouldn't be shocked, but uh, ultimately I do think Milwaukee and Boston kind of have a, have a stranglehold right now on the Eastern conferences top tier. And in order for the Sixers to, to jump into that, it either will take like a real revitalization from Harden Embiid going up yet another level to get even better or Tyrese Maxey making like a massive leap once again, which like I wouldn't count out any of that, but also there's a lot of variables there. Interesting. I like it. Trillblower dude. What can the good folks check out from you this week on the podcast front and everything else? So this week on the pod, we I will be having uh, Matt Brooks from Nets Daily on to talk about the Nets situation, which is a absolute shit show. Um, basically, hear about this? Did you see this? Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to kind of just run down how we got here. So we're going to look back at the pre-KD Kyrie era and how everything led to what's happening now, which is just absolute craziness. And then otherwise you can follow on YouTube. Uh, I know you're on YouTube now, so we're both on I there. I am on YouTube now. Yeah, we all pivoted to video. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you know ball with Trill, Trill Bro Dude on there. You can find me on any podcast platform you know ball a mostly sixers podcast and then once again follow me on twitter we have a tiktok now i'm an old guy on tiktok so you can check can't that do out. it that's my one I'll, I'll never do that so shout yeah. out to you man i can't do i it. never did instagram so i figured tiktok is, interesting yeah, yeah never never was an insta i never had one so you're not missing much yeah <laughs> <laughs> true bro dude this has been great thank you so much for making the time as always and uh, we'll have to reconnect again soon Peace, bud. All right, welcome back. Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this late on a Tuesday. First timer, Chris Marler is here. Chris, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've enjoyed uh, getting to know you off air here. Right. Um, us- what seven minutes maybe mm-hmm. um and uh and big fan of, of you on social media so it's um it's good to put a face with the um i guess profile picture i don't know there you go well it's also yeah. like it's interesting you say fan of my social media because my social media is uh me posting my work and then hopping off social media like me scheduling all my Mark. tweets out in tweet deck and then literally leaving twitter because yeah. there's just like shout out to my guy Graham Coffee and other folks like that who just they tweet through it and they're just fine tweeting through it. I just you're one of those guys. <laughs> I can't get caught up into the mess. Like I just yeah, 
I can't do it. Like, it you, like Brandon Walker just like asks for it every day. Like he just wakes up and he's like, who can I piss off today? And then you just look through it and you're like, I just, I can't do that. That's not for me. I don't, so I don't want to be in Brandon Walker's, um, I don't want to be orbit. in the same area that, yeah, mm-hmm. I like I wouldn't say orbit. Um, but I think that, uh, like, I think there's one of the first things I learned, like the very first thing at Saturday on South when I started there, um, years ago was like, it's like, I did stand up comedy for a long time. Mm. So this has always been like, it's like kind of a niche, or not a niche thing, but it's kind of like a, a natural fit for me at the same time. You think about stand up comedy, stand up comedians, what they all want attention, right? Mm. They also all want like that, like positive affirmation right away. It's like you say something and you can see people laugh or you like, you post something, you can see people like, like stuff. Fuck man. I'm allowed to say bad words, right? Yeah, you can say it. Yeah. Okay. So like, like, you write something, I think like the first thing I ever wrote, and it was this article I used to always do is my favorite thing called winning and boozing. And we would, we would pre mm. every day, put like a booze attached to it for each, like, you know, tailgate that weekend. It's like my baby. It's my favorite thing. First thing is like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever read in my life. I was like, <laughs> Sucks. And then people are like, yeah, don't ever read the comments. It's the first thing you get. So the yeah. way you're doing it is smarter. I just, um, you know, I refuse to be emotionally healthy, I guess. So it's just something I, I got to work on in my own time. No, you just, you write, you schedule your stuff, you send it all in, you just move on with your day. Like, I just, I can't do it, man. Um, I try to do a better job of like, like I, I enjoy the interaction because I just love comics. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. And I'm pretty good at being like a smart ass about stuff, but like mm-hmm. the Brandon Walker thing, it's like, there's a different level of where I think. And we should say, we're not like against Brandon Walker. It's just no, no, that he wakes up. Yeah, no, he just like, it's just the job. Twitter where I, I see like, I get, I sweat when yeah. i see him post that stuff like i sweat for him where like i don't have that in me to do something like that right and it, it, it takes it i think like a different person maybe a better person mm. i don't know but it's like because you gotta have thicker skin i don't have that kind of yes thing. and he definitely does like you have to be okay with getting quote tweeted 97 times just calling you the worst things known to man it's just trying not to like like i found like especially growing up in this sport like you have rivals right you're not everyone's mm. a friend but um it's it's best to almost all like sometimes just kind of def- default to being like I love college football instead of mm. being screw this fan base unless it's Georgia and then then I will fight with them all day long. Exactly, yeah. uh, it is funny that you bring up the comments and stuff like that because like even in my experience like moving this to YouTube and stuff like that, there was one video where somebody commented and they were like at the three what was that pause at the seven fifty eight mark of uh, this one because they're like how did you not know that the offensive coordinator was playing I forgot what it was it was an Oklahoma State thing and I was yeah. like what. Are there people taking notes on like, oh, he, yeah. he says he's a he's a podcaster and he's an expert and he he had to think for a second about who this offensive coordinator was at this particular moment. I'm like, right. is that how people listen to it? Like, I, I think it's the same when you read the uh, like just reviews of restaurant reviews from people where it's like, do they really <laughs> go home and they're like in while they're on a date or they're out with their family? Yeah. They, they went out to a thing where you're supposed to be present with your family. Right. It, and they're like taking middle notes of like, I can't wait to rip this place when I get home. Like, I just well, I don't understand that whatsoever. The thing is, too, and I think that um, it's so funny because I say this all the time on our podcast and in general. And like, um, you know, I always say this. We're a nation of haters. Like we love to watch <laughs> people fail. We love mm-hmm. like like Texas. We, we love Sean, Texas. We love. Yeah. Like, I love it when Ohio State and Notre Dame are terrible or like when they when they they when they fail or, or whatever else. Um, as if you're a Tennessee guy, like you have seen it as well. Like, I mean, people have enjoyed Tennessee being down and kind of being like the, the butt of the joke at times. And like, I think people are scared because you, you're getting on, like you're turning a corner where that's not going to be the case anymore. Oh, but Tennessee like, baseball was an experience unlike any other. Like, the, it was like if all Twitter became a team. Yes. 
It was wild. That man. was when I actually tweeted. Like, if you want to get me out and like showing some stuff, it's like when people go at Tennessee, like I know this guy's and talking to it. Like, it's just that stuff would drive me up the wall the yep. way people talked about Tennessee baseball and just ruining the game and everything. People hated Tennessee baseball. And you saw it with the ratings drop. Like when Tennessee was eliminated, it was like, oh, that's what we were watching for. It was like, right. we, we didn't, and it was the dumbest thing where it's like two things can be true. Tennessee was the best baseball team in the country this year, yep. and it wasn't particularly close. And that was still the case. Like they were number one all season long. They're the best team. But the best team doesn't win. The last three number one seeds didn't even make it to Omaha. Like that's not a thing. Ole Miss yep. barely. They shouldn't even, you can make case they shouldn't even been in the tournament. And yep. they make it and they win the whole Tennessee, thing. Like it's just, it's like, silly. I played, I played college baseball and in Demonico, I remember like getting like, like, you know, some not I wasn't recruited by Tennessee. Like a lot of us, I was like, I sent like questionnaires and shit like that. But like, I remember, you know, going through that whole process, like my junior year before, like everything fell off. <laughs> I just didn't grow. So like my junior mm-hmm. year, I had, like, you know, I was getting like handwritten Christmas cards from like Clemson, Vandy and Bama. And I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pro. Like I am, this is, this is my destiny. And then like my senior year, like, did you lose an inch or something? Like what? Like just nothing progressed. Right. Mm-hmm. But like baseball is hard enough. I, I went to MTSU out of high school yeah. and hated it, man. And and then went to like a D two school. But but like baseball is boring enough. And outside of outside of uh, what's the one I didn't like the one kid, the right fielder who who was arguably maybe the best. Jordan Beck. Yeah, just I didn't like the middle finger thing around first base. Okay, um, that was the only thing I disagreed with. But all that other stuff, like. Man, baseball is boring enough. You're losing so much of the fandom and and like fans like at a younger age because and this is like the shift of it. I tell you what, man. And again, we don't know each other that like well, but you know me well enough from from social media. I think anybody would agree with this. If I was playing baseball nowadays, I would be the biggest asshole imaginable. <laughs> like it's like because it's it's finally kind of celebrated. And it's like and, and it I think it brings more to the game. And it's it's obvious to see like. I tell you what, man, you guys have apologies to my future father, to my father uh, on this, because if I have a son, like I am teaching him how to pet, like all of that, like I am ruining the game all over the place. Like, yeah, you're pimping the bat. You're doing whatever you're like, we're giving you a crazy walk up song. We're doing all of that. Like that's how my walk up song was my last walk up song before I quit in college. It was bossy by Kilos. (laughs) I mean, like it was, what would it be now? What would it be now? Probably still bossy. Um, Okay. No, I don't know. I, I'm sad to think about that. Like it was, it, mine was like all over the place. Cause like when I was like kind of like a nerd and like more reserved kid out of high school, it was like mm-hmm. OAR, City on Down. And I fucked it up because it was supposed to be the live version. And so it was like cutting mm-hmm. it 11 seconds. And it was like the, it just cut in right during the song. It was like yeah. I only got like eight bass that year. Um, <laughs> but it was that. And then, then it went to, uh, California Love, but the Tupac line where he says, "Out on bail, fresh out of jail, California dreaming." Since I stepped mm-hmm. on the scene, I heard Hoochie screaming because twenty-year-old Chris apparently thought he had Hoochie screaming, um, right. and then Kila. So I, people are saying, but it's good. Oh, yeah, people are saying, but it's, I think it's good for baseball, and it's like it's it's good for y'all's fan base because I yeah. think one of the two with with like the way the, the what makes the SEC so great in a lot of ways um, is is like you see some of these, like not everyone can be great at, at football. They just can't because it's, it's, it's a gauntlet to get through, you know, like, and, and I think people are, it's it's like Arkansas, like we are only two years removed from the Chad Morris era, but like, let's not forget how bad that was for them. So it's cool to see like teams like that. And I'm not saying it's in a negative way to Tennessee, but it's, especially for last year, that team having success with baseball and, and Arkansas having success with baseball and Mississippi state, you know, winning the national championship the year before, even Vandy, right? Like, mm. and kind of well, let's not go that far. 
Yeah, let's not go that far. It's fine. But like, it's cool for those fan bases because they still care, man. And it was cool to see Tennessee fans come out in droves. And like, no matter what, you could not get a ticket. There were people seven. Like, I remember uh, this is one of the cool things about being a graduate student is like, oh, you just flash the card. And you're like, because I don't do the press box thing. I don't do any of that. I've never had any interest in that. It's not my jam. Like, if I'm in kneeling, I want to be super close and I just want to like feel it and just be a part of the action. Like, I want to react. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, I'm going to emote. Like, that's just, I can't just. Yeah. turn that off i can't just i just don't think that's why i want to go to a sporting event like that's just not something that interests me um but tennessee like georgia baseball game random regular season series and tickets were sold out by like one right. o'clock on a saturday and you're just like what is happening like that yeah. people were getting up and they were using their whole day to get there early waiting in line for a college baseball game it's georgia right. like a regular season baseball game like they showed out in droves like every weekend was a party like i wrote about this extensively and it was just like that was one of my favorite sports seasons of like any yeah. like anything i've ever experienced and just because i was it, it helped being able to be there for so many of those games but like it was such a fun ride i did not care that they didn't win a national title there was so much joy and we had so much fun winning 17 to one so many different times. And just Dude. the burying people was just yeah. unreal. It's just, you I, don't see is. that in baseball ever. No, you guys like, so like, and I'm not saying this to, to my own horns. I, I was a, I was a role player on this team. Like I said, I did not develop and I just did not understand. Like, like I didn't realize you'd need to be playing year round. I didn't play travel ball. I didn't, did, mm-hmm. I, like, I would pick up a bat from like August to January and then roll up to these like, national showcases with like a wooden bat and like like an old glove and be like like i was like a fucking sandlot for like i just didn't understand that it's like a real thing i should be taking seriously like, oh i roll out of bed shit. like no you don't chris not when it's like 92 mm-hmm. but i mean like and now it's like this kids are i wouldn't stand a chance in today's baseball with like the how hard everyone's throwing but it's mm-hmm. just so cool to see like in it like what you what they've been able to do and you brought up like i think probably positioned perfectly is like it's it's the off season right because it's not mm-hmm. football the sec and you still have people showing up in droves and like you have this season that's the best baseball team i've ever seen like mm-hmm. we were ranked number one in the country in division two right and we had like eight guys play professional baseball and all that kind of stuff we and we faced some really good teams um and some really good professional players that end up pitching in the bigs and everything but tennessee you lose less than 10 games in a full college baseball season in any in any level that's insane that, that's, it was a home series like that's, that didn't happen until the Notre Dame series where they got knocked out. That was it. Like that was the only home series they lost. I mean, it was it was wild. The only SEC series they lost was at Kentucky, which was just a gloomy, terrible yeah. on the road. Just uh, whenever we get to Kentucky, like ugh, ugh. Kentucky in March or April, whenever it was, was not a yeah. not a pleasant experience. But um, but you know what's weird too? Okay, so I saw. Is this true? Did you go to Parkview? Yeah, I went to Parkview. You went to Parkview. I went a lot lot longer ago than you did. What year did you graduate in Parview? Are you part right. of the? Do you want to say? It? Do you want, were you were you part of? Like, if I look at some Cecil Flow, Jeff Rancor, yeah. Zeb McKenzie memorabilia, am I going to see like a Chris Marler behind them? Yeah, I didn't play baseball. I played. I mean, I didn't play football. I only played baseball. But I played. Yeah, but like, uh, are you in the student section? Like, am I seeing you just behind a Sean Dawkins or a Dustin yeah. Wade photo? Yeah, I had Brad Lester pass math um, his tenth grade year, and I wish I wouldn't have because then he ended up going to Auburn. Um, well, but hold I mean, on, he was a great player for us. Brad was awesome. Wait. For, for us. For Parview. Like, oh, for us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I meant Parview. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, so one I of the fastest before. dudes I've ever seen. So Brad fast. Lester was so fast. Yeah. Him, was he the Kenny Irons? I think those two were the two running backs, the best ones in Gwinnett County at that point. Kenny, Kenny Irons was at yeah. Decula, right? Yeah. 
Um, and then he went to South Carolina, I seem to recall, right? Yeah. I thought he went to Auburn. Kenny Irons? I thought Kenny yeah, Irons was a South, South Carolina guy. Maybe. Lester went to Auburn. Yeah. I know Lester did, but that's wild. I, that's a small world, man. Yeah, great. What's your, what year did you graduate? Oh, nine. Oh, so that's not even that far off. Okay, so 04. Um, yeah, it's not far. Yeah, it's like that, I graduated then. I played baseball all four years. Um, but like from very early on, like, and, and I hate to, again, no part of this is like me like toot my own horn, like trying to relive glory days because I, you know, I was not any big deal at all. Um, not like now. Not yeah. like now. You know what I mean? Um, but like, like, and I'm obviously kidding if anybody thinks I'm being serious. But like, I remember going to Parkview and everyone like, like when you're in high school, like people, you just, you play multiple sports, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to explain this to people like, oh, did you play football? Because like you cover football. I'm like, no, because we were ranked number two in the country for, we were mm-hmm. like, we won 45 straight games. I mean, it, it was, <laughs> it was stupid. Like, it, like, and it was at the highest level at the time, which I don't even know how many A's there are now in seven. Georgia. There's seven now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was um it was a different world, man. But it was a lot of fun because playing with Jeff and and all those guys and like just the stuff that they did. And, and this is also that time too, where like like our baseball program, our football is awesome, but our baseball mm-hmm. program was like, I mean, we won. But I mean, the baseball program now you could argue it's better. Like Matt better. Olson put it, but sure. like they're winning national titles. Like Chan Brown's turned him into like a national powerhouse. It's so random, but like part of you just runs baseball now. It, so it's not even arguably it's like it yeah. is they are better and i remember because i remember like my my sophomore year was when jeff was a senior and they were just not going to get beat because mm. you know jeff francor was like it, it was i've heard people say this about bo jackson i've heard people say about marcus dupree and i'm really dating myself at this point but like you see these kids in high school i've never seen anything like what i saw with jeff francor in high school that's and how it was with matt olson it was it really yeah, because Matt was like Matt had like the lightest swing that mm. would carry for like his swing was so effortless and right. just the fear of like high school kids. He was so much bigger and so yeah. much stronger. Where he was, it just didn't look right. And I think it's kind of where you're going with the yes. Bo Jackson, where it just doesn't look fair what Matt Olson's doing here. Right. I remember, I just remember with Jeff, it was like you know we we because because then like Georgia's a great state for especially for baseball talent, and mm-hmm. so like the. Like my junior year, we were ranked fifth in the country. We got bounced in the first round by a team that we had beaten in the only doubleheader we played all season. We were like twenty four and one and lost to them um, in the first round. But like, so it's it's you know, like you were saying earlier with Tennessee, it's difficult to do. Um, with Parkview and Jeff, I remember like this his his final his final like uh, I guess games as a high schooler, mm-hmm. right? We're in the championships against Lasseter, and, and they've got a kid like they're they're two starters. One's going to Tech, one's going to Florida. Jeff was like on the double header. He was six for seven with four home runs, two doubles. He got both wins on the mound. And then like he had a home run. It was supposed to be his last at bat. And we ended up batting around and he came back up. And I was like, oh, my God. And the bases were loaded. I was like, oh, he's going to hit a fucking grand slam. Dope. Oh, I was at this game. Yeah, I know what you're talking so, about. I was at this game. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. I was I there for that. Yeah. yeah. So that's anyway. wild. Small world, I'm man. Sure listeners love hearing about uh, about our high school glory days. Hold on. Um, like I had. Uh, coach godfrey on yesterday so no uh, he's of current he was the offensive coordinator when you were there oh he taught me computers not well Did he really i don't know anything about computers it's not his fault but i mean well coach salo was doing that for a while too uh we had coach salo and all that but yeah taught you computers i I think something's changed uh since then can you imagine (laughs) like teaching i always think about that too like journalism like me doing undergrad in journalism and like the stuff that i learned i mean the master's program here at ut is phenomenal but like It's so hard to teach 
fat now with how much everything changes where I'm just like, what are they telling these kids in high school? Of like, hey, here's what you got to do to do. I, I just imagine it's so outdated uh, oh, preparing yeah. kids for this kind of world. Well, I mean, dude. Because it changes know, so much so quick. Without, I mean, I'm 36 and I remember I wanted to, I wanted to do sports broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And then I went to so I went to MTSU because they had a great program. And then I trenched to Georgia College in Milledgeville. And if you mm-hmm. don't know where Georgia College is, where Roethlisberger got all that trouble. That's that's where I was in Milledgeville. Also, and, mini Athens, uh, Millie Vegas. It's a fun well, time. Mini Athens. My, my girlfriend's going to hate that. She it is, is mini Athens. Like, that's what it is. When you go down there, it's mini Athens. Do you disagree? I, I, Athens is the best college town in America. Oh, hold on. There's 115 bars there in a three-block radius. There are four in, in Milledgeville, or at least there were when I was there. I mean, I love Milledgeville. I was there for, for enough years where I was fun man like I I, I I don't have no qualms about Milledgeville but I just remember like they my junior year when you start getting into your program which was sports broadcast and they're like all right you're gonna have yeah. to drive to Macon that's part of the program and I was like I don't even have a car <laughs> I'm paying I'm I'm putting myself through school and they're like well you can't be in the program and then I was like so I'll just do liberal studies then and I switched to like basically barroom trivia with a fucking <laughs> a diploma and um and then I end up like you know, graduating, I had no idea what I'd do, bartending forever, actually won a game show with my part room trivia um, degree mm-hmm. and um, like for student loans or whatever. And then, and then just fell into this job. So where's it? Did you bartend in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you bartend? Uh, Houston, oh, a couple of places, but mainly yeah. Houston off of, uh, off of Linux. Oh, the super yeah. fancy one. It, you, I mean, a little bit. Yeah. I was like, I was like, a little I bit heard like, they were hardcore back in the day. Like you had to do like this whole training was hardcore and you have to fall. Like it's, it's serious it business. Very militant. It was not a, like, they were like very, very yes. serious. I mean, you made like, you made really good money and, yeah. and um, and it was, it, I loved, I loved in hindsight, I liked working there at the time. Hmm. You're like, it sucks. I don't want to wear a wool vest and dress up like a fucking magician and a, <laughs> and, a and a bow tie and like, you know, and then just people ate trips or whatever, but it, Sorry for my girlfriend's dogs. Um, no, we're it's a pro dog podcast, not the red and black dog, but that. Yeah, um, but no. So it was it was great, and then I worked at a couple other places, but mainly mainly there, and then kind of um, just fell into this uh, this job. Like literally, the my the president of our company came in. I just started talking sports with him. Um, do you want me to go tell him something? No, you're good, man. This is part of it. It's ASMR for podcasting. Perfect. Well, yeah. So I did that, and then I got into this. Like I. I did comedy for a long time. I don't, I don't know if you can ask this or if you want me to keep. No, it's part of it, man. Um, it's our first yeah, pod so together. We're learning. I love it. Uh-oh. Okay. That might have been the end of the dog. Yeah. So they, uh, but no, so I did that for a long time and then, and then kind of like, you know, like fell into some luck and my, like the president of SDS came in. I just heard him talking about football and I just always want like, you know, always want to talk about SEC football or college football in general. Um and then gave me a chance doing, uh, you know, some video stuff with them and um, then got a full time gig with them. And and that's pretty much it, man. And the rest is like, I guess, kind of history. I've been there ever since I ran their social media for a long time. And and um, it's just like it's been it's been so much fun just because, like, you know, is anyone that like, as you know, right, like I just it, getting up to every day and. One, not having to put on the fucking bow tie and wool vest. <laughs> right. Um, which was six. But you still could. Day. Not, I mean, there's no way I would fit into it. But yeah, I could. Um, you should do a no, bit. You should just do college ball on censored stream yard just from the attire. See what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea. 
Um, but yeah, man, and you just getting to talk about college football every day and like and interact with the fans, good and bad. Uh, I love it, man. It's just, it's just, and now it's like the best time of year too, besides the the heat. Um, mm. I can't wait, man. I can't wait. Oh yeah, no, the Thursday night game against Ball State. It's just I, I'm just going to, uh, I just I, I will say last year I remember um, for Bowling Green. Um, mm-hmm. That was also a Thursday night game, and it was the start of the Joe Milton era, or so we thought. And I remember I had, because I had, I think, two red eyes that day. Like, two wow. red eyes. So I had one early that morning for school and doing stuff, but then I had another one, because I'm like, I might be tired for this game. So I took another one. Oh, you mean, like, red eyes like a drink? Yes, Oh, okay, you meant like flights? No, 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 no. Like no. Tyson's not pulling that off. No, that, that's not <laughs> happening over there. Um, but no, like multiple. So I was like, I remember I turned to uh, my fiance and I was like, I can like feel that. Like, I just felt like I was yeah. tripping because of how much caffeine. And I was like, we might have a problem. Like I am, I'm so amped and so uh, aware yeah. of my surroundings. Like, I feel like I'm about to lose it. I felt like Charlie uh, at uh, Philadelphia Eagles camp from over a decade <laughs> ago and always sunny where like, that's kind of how I felt a little bit. So it was, it was wild, but it was, it was a fun experience. And I can't wait for that again in three weeks. See, I'm again. I'm older than you, and I've I've been in the the, the service service industry for such a long mm-hmm. time. Like most of that, like it's like, I like the caffeine intake. Like any normal person, yes. like Connor O'Gara, normal dude, healthy, takes care of himself, in great shape, like eats his vegetables. We have different um, ways that we go about <laughs> our work day. Like he is much more like, and, and I also have like crazy ADD. So. Mm. I will wake up and, and I remember like, cause he's, he's like, we've done, you know, live events together in the past when we did a podcast together. And so he would just be like astonished at the amount of caffeine that I'd be putting into my body. Cause it would used to be like, I would wake up and go to Starbucks and get like a latte with three extra shots, so, like five total. <laughs> and then, and then get like a five hour late in the day and have to get like some coffee because I mean, dude, like it's, it's, to be fair. Also m- when I was doing social media for SDS, like in yeah. 2018, 2019. Yeah. I was doing like Saturdays would be set. I would wake up like on my own because I'm so excited for game day. <laughs> I would wake up at like seven. Yeah. And you're working at eight, eight thirty, and you don't stop until like one. And so it's like, I mean, it's like a six. I, I mean, I love it, but it's man. Yeah. This it's, oh. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot. I can never do those kind of jobs. I can't do a social media job. Uh, I did that once out of college, and I was like, "This is not for me. Uh, this is this is not my jam. I, I can't be on social media this much all the time. It's it's not for me. It's for some people, uh, but it is a skill, and it's a skill and patience that I just I don't have. Um, we're gonna play a game here, uh, Chris, on this edition of the pod. I thought this would be a fun idea, and I think it fits your personality type really well. Um, one of my favorite sports writers, Drew McGarry over at defector previously deadspin he does this series for nfl where he's like why your team sucks preparing for the end season i don't know yeah. if you've ever read those pieces but they're fantastic and he outlines it's his own way of previewing uh, each nfl team and it's one of my favorite reads each and every year um we're gonna do that with college football though specifically yeah. the sec that you're quite familiar with so I, i'm gonna throw you a softball to start off with here chris Love why it. your team sucks but we're keeping this just to this year based on where they're at their schedule right. what you think about their season this year so okay. basically this is worst case scenario for every team okay why your team sucks number one the vanderbilt commodores oh my god well your coach looks like a penis 
um, for one. Um, the other one is your traditions of having a pregame uh, tradition of carrying an actual anchor to the field. You're at best, you're tiring everyone out. I just, I mean, it's not, it's not a good look. Um, don't give me a chore before I have to go play a three hour football game or a football game over three hours. Why they suck. I mean, and I hate to say, it cause it's such low hanging fruit, but it, you know, it, like no one's interested in coming to that stadium. That's a fan of Andy. It's just people that like, like, Oh, you know what? I love Luke Bryan and we're playing him week three. <laughs> yeah. Let's go up there. Like, I mean, they live they live in basically what is a bachelorette party come to life as a mm-hmm. city. And it is I don't I mean, it shouldn't be that tough to recruit there. They do it for baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just the talent diversity. I will say I think that their quarterback was great at media days, and I think they have better receivers than people give them credit for. But man, I, they ought to play UConn at the start of every season and whoever loses has to quit the rest of the year. <laughs> just for for real. I mean, they opened. Do you know where they opened this year? Hawaii. Yeah, August twenty seventh. We're like eighteen days away from them opening the season. It's also, it's also fucked up. It's I'm happy that we get football yeah. early, but it's fucked up that Vandy is the first team that we get to watch out of the SEC because it's like, hold on, I, I'm we're here for Vandy Hawaii. I'm watching every second of that. Oh, without a doubt. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, I would rather, I would rather, like, listen, I live in Atlanta. You you grew up around here, so it's like, mm-hmm. I I've always liked Georgia Tech. They're you know. They're basically a, just a sterile program that is no threat to yeah, anybody. I got you. You ready? Dude, you're going to give me PTSD because I had one of those. I, as soon as my dad bought it for me, literally at the BP that is still off of North Avenue, I drink yeah. it in front of them. And if, if you know anything about those Coke bottles, they don't have value after you drink right. them. Um, so, yeah. But I, honestly, it's a tech bottle. I don't think that thing has a lot of value anyway. But Wow. Uh, I mean, it, no offense. It, I mean, it doesn't. But I think so. Vandy, Vandy is them starting out the years like when when Tech would start out against Clemson, and they're not going to get blown out by by Hawaii. I hope they I hope they beat Hawaii. Um, but man, the expectations are super low. And honestly, why they suck is because their coach doesn't get that they suck. I like that. I just think they should run the triple or the air raid. Like, I think it's one of those things where I just don't understand why they're not doing that. Clark Lee is building a pro style. Like we're going to, it just feels too much like he's trying to build a a Northwestern type team to me. And I just don't know if you're going to have the time to do that, or you're going to have to have a lot of losing terrible, terrible watches before you get to even that. And the difference is, the Big Ten's not like there's a path for Northwestern to play that way and succeed a little bit. That's not the case in the SEC. Like, it's just not – you can't do it. If we could juggle the coaches and send somebody – like, if I had, like, like three wishes, one of them would be to send Mike Leach to Vanderbilt. Or Oh, see, I was going to do Jeff Monken. Like, he's just been so good at Army. I would send him to – like, he'd be a pain in the ass in this division. I had Monken on a couple months ago. Awesome dude. But I would hate to have him in this division. Like, Tennessee didn't even play Army. So, they were like, Akron's on the calendar. Army's out. We're not putting the triple option early in the calendar. When we – because I think they looked at it as, like, we'll never know for sure. But they had a September, which is already just going to define whether or not this team wins 10 games, Mm -hmm. with Pitt and Florida. You have Army in between those two, and you're just like – people who don't understand football it's like you cannot throw a good triple option team in the middle of that that just throws everything up and just screws your entire month up yeah well i mean the thing is too like that's why they probably should have done it at at vandy i I say mike leach because nobody Mm. likes watching the triple option anymore um it's a high i don't know 
Coastal does a good job of it. Like the speed option, I don't know yeah. what they call it, but their version of the option is fun as hell. For sure. But I'm saying like if you put Vandy, so if you put Vandy with the triple option, like a Paul Johnson thing, you you mm. you have the ceiling of your your program at seven and five, which would be awesome for Vandy, yes. right? I say the same thing for what Leach is doing at Mississippi State, but it would be more progressive. They're throwing the football, so it's more entertaining to watch. You put Vandy with the triple option, and anyone that has seen a team go against it, I watched like Bama do it last year against Mercer, I think at one point, and like mm. these cut blocks and stuff like that. You've seen it happen like with Georgia in the past, especially with Georgia Tech. Like the last thing you want is injuries and Vandy mm-hmm. already gets enough shit from everyone else. If they were like knocking out like, you know, contending teams and their best <laughs> players, they, I can't, they would, they would finally get kicked out of the league. Yeah. There you so, go. Relegation. Yeah. Uh, there, that's one way to get relegated. I, I remember you had, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago? You had the Mississippi state guy uh, on from oh, it was last week. Yeah. Yeah. Last week. And yeah, I think he mentioned that like, Mike Leach is not with a third year starter. He, what was the stat? that pop for me yeah. where so we had jake wimberly on he's yeah. in, in, in like jackson tyler actually uh my co-host tyler huck actually brought this up i think where yeah. they have won nine games or more every time he's had a, like a, a three-year start I a think third it's like year half- yeah so mm-hmm. so that's something to watch so we'll see mm-hmm. uh and they bring a lot of pieces back but we'll get to we'll get to uh mississippi state next up kentucky why does kentucky suck in 2022 so the expectations are too high and mm. the fan base has kind of gotten a weird arrogance about it, which like you kind of think is endearing to it to an extent, but then like they've kind of bypassed like the, Oh, good for you guys. Like hmm. eight Kentucky would be a great year, but now it's like this whole thing, them thinking that they, they are just going to waltz into like a, a second place finish in the East. I don't know why that's, that's the case. The reason why Kentucky, I don't like, reason why they would suck this year is because your will levis was last in the sec in interceptions last year he mm-hmm. threw the ball like I, I get it man you put mayonnaise in your coffee and you eat bananas with a peel on fucking great <laughs> um that does not like I, and i think he is a better draft like nfl combine type prospect than anyone else in the sec including bryce young like he will be more impressive without game tape like if he was just throwing with with shells on or with like in in sh- like shirts and shorts but you lose three offensive linemen to the NFL. You lose the best receiver you've had in progr- in the program in at least 25 years, probably since Craig Yeast, in my opinion. Um, I don't. I just don't think they replace that out of you know just like that. So, I mean, again, there nobody's besides maybe Tennessee fans is really pulling against Kentucky. So it's like I don't want to see them fail. And we love Stoops, but they've had two 10 win seasons in the last 40 something years, granted they've done it in the last four years. And it's a, it's a testament to how great of a job he's, he's soups has done. I just don't think that you lose Wando Robinson, three NFL caliber offensive linemen, and then walk into the season with everyone else, not everyone else, but a lot of other teams in the East kind of elevating where their stature is. Like if this, if this was last year, sure. Like, I mean, maybe they'll be fine, but South Carolina is better. Tennessee is, is, has arrived in my opinion. Um, Florida will still be Florida. I think that's a road game for them. So I just don't think it's a given that they're going to be like the second or even third best team in the SEC East this year. Here's my take. They get swept by Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee this year. Really, I think yeah. they get swept. Okay. I uh, You look at it and like, like you said, Kentucky fans are just <laughs> – Mark Stoops has done a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Like he deserves all the credit in the world. We all like Stoops. 
Tennessee just went in and took your best player, the state. Like he just went, they just went in and Kristen Conyer, it's like, all right, done deal. We'll go ahead and right. take him. Number one player in the state. Mizzou, we'll go in. Jandavian Bradley, all right, we're doing that. There is a difference. There is a ceiling for Kentucky and Mizzou and South Carolina that mm-hmm. Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia just do not have. Like it's right. just a different thing. And you can just moan about it, but it's like there's a reason that there are no national title banners in your building there is a reason for that and there never will like i just yeah. that's like one of those things where you i just i think with the college football playoff it ruins a lot of this and it ruins a lot of fans brains about what they can be and where it's like no like you're there's no scenario where kentucky beats alabama in the sec title game and then beats ohio state and georgia or something in the right. college football playoff. like that you're not running the gauntlet like that's just not happening so and that's kind of what sucks too because it's like you don't want i've always said this like fans need to have more realistic expectations and like right. it's never going to happen because it's their fans and you honestly should be like you know what you're going to go you go win your eight games and you like it like that's, a, yeah. that's fun but it's like and i feel sad because like t- tennessee fans get a bad rap for just the craziness the mustard bottles whatever but like having high expectations in knoxville is okay like they've won national titles they have the money they have the resources they're in a recruiting area where like no tennessee actually should like it's okay right. to have unrealistic expectations at tennessee right. Because they can. They can win a national title. They can build a Goliath Death Star type program. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. Danny White's doing a great job across the board as AD. And it's just been a home run higher. And we'll see as Tennessee continues to kill an NIL and what Nico looks like coming in the building next year. But, I mean, look, it's we'll get to Tennessee in a second. I just think you get Florida right after Florida potentially loses the home opener to Utah. They're not starting Mm -hmm. 0-2. You like Florida owns them in that series. Like Florida owns Kentucky. I don't think they're losing to Kentucky back to back years. It's not a thing. Tennessee, they get them at home this year. They're going to beat Kentucky. Done deal. And then you look at Georgia. Like Georgia does not fear Kentucky for the least bit. So you're looking at best case scenario nine and three. I think Louisville is a much improved team. They could beat them like Louisville in a shootout. We just saw what Kentucky did in a shootout against Tennessee last year. Lee Cunningham's a dude. And Tion Evans, my guy, he is uh, in the backfield for them. But I don't know. I I just I think Kentucky fans are in for a rude awakening next year, where it's like eight and four, seven and five feels right to me. Yeah, but they're just thinking like SEC East title. Like you're seeing, like I'm listening to podcasts and they're like, Kentucky's my pick to win the East, and I'm like, oh my god, that's 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 not happening. They dominated South Carolina. They should beat Mizzou, but like again, and you get Georgia at home. I just don't Mm -hmm. think that Georgia at home, like. And again, they've done a really good job with the stuff like with like Stoops. They've put money into the program. They've they've like got the facilities have been an upgrade. They've done a better job in recruiting. They they did the upgrade at offensive coordinator last year. But I just don't and and you know, Levis should be better than you know the 13 interceptions from a year ago. But Levis is kind of all they got. It, like in I know they have Chris Rodriguez, but if I have to see that kid fumble on the goal line one more time and cost me covering like an over, um, I'm I'm gonna lose my mind. So I I just I think you're right. I think they're probably third or fourth. Yeah, but we shall see. We shall see. Um, next up on our list, the Missouri Tigers. Oh, God. Why did the Missouri Tigers suck in 2022? I hate this because my best friend's a Mizzou guy. I think they are so disrespected. And mm. don't forget, like, when they first came in the league. I've said this before, and I'll say it. I don't know if your listeners know this. You know, when they first came in the league in 2012, in the preseason, they lost all five starting offensive linemen and their sixth best OL. Hmm. Like they lost their entire offensive, like going into their first year in the SEC, which is everything's one in the trenches in this league. Um, hmm. They go to Atlanta back to back years after that. Right now, I like, I just don't think they have the weapons and they, I don't think they have the quarterback. Like Missouri has been a program where 
as, as much as we give them shit for being too far away and they're not in the Southeast and Columbia looks like a fucking nap, it just, it looks pretty bad. Um, but at the same time, one thing they've always had in that program is a stable quarterback besides Matt Mock, who he was in stable or unstable in a lot of ways, mainly off the field. But like you've seen Matt Mock. Yeah, most people want to. Um, a lot of guys, you know, they're three and four year starters. They have not had any kind of stability at that position. And I think Drink is a great coach. I hope he's there forever, just from you know a media day standpoint. Um, they should be better at receiver, especially. I don't know how you replace Tyler Beatty. That defense was atrocious, atrocious last year. They will challenge Vandy to be the worst team in the in the East. Hmm. I could see it because you look at the schedule and then you think about it. You're like, who are they beating in the East? Like, who are they beating among Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Vandy? It's Vandy. I just don't see them being better than anybody else. Like, Brady Cook, if you're a fan, like, cool. But I just, I don't see it. Like, I think yeah. this is the worst team than last year. I think, I mean, they were so one-dimensional last year. So, it's amazing they were even able to get to a bowl. Mm-hmm. But you got Luther Burden coming at receiver. You still have a kid from Ohio State from two years ago. If they're healthier, maybe the passing game arrives. Because I think Drink is a good offensive line. But, man, if your best win from last year was to beat Florida. Like, I mean, if you think about it. They're, they're two biggest wins since he's been there. LSU and Florida, both at home, both nail biters. And both those teams were really bad. Yeah, like the Florida win. I mean, look, you take it, whatever. But, like, that's the whole thing with South Carolina and Mizzou. And they were talking about the Florida win. And I'm like. Mullen, they they were ready for Cancun. That was one, two, three Cancun. Like I just that was not the same Florida team um, down the stretch there. So I don't know about that. Um, next up, South Carolina. Why did the South Carolina Gamecocks suck in twenty twenty two? Um, let's see here. The defense has to be better for sure. I, I think if it's anything, it's the offensive line because one mm. thing I think Spencer Rattler is good. I think it's so funny watching people like you're he's like so polarizing for whatever reason. And and I even said last year, like, you know, that he seems like he's kind of an asshole, but I think that kid, he's 15 and I was a starter. He left OU with a 70% career completion percentage. He threw had over 70% in like, I want to say 11 of his 15 starts, like all time. The kid is talented for sure. He also had a lot more talent around him at OU and also had Lincoln Riley. So I wonder what that looks like going into this year, because I mean, I think South Carolina was ranked 94th or worst in every single major offensive statistical category a year ago. Total yards per game, rushing yards per game, passing yards, and then scoring. That should obviously get better with Satterfield in year two. Um, and you're not starting a fucking 25-year-old grad student named Zeb. Anytime you're starting a guy named Zeb and it's not on the offensive line um, or in, like, I don't know, uh, some strongman competition, it's probably not going to be good. So I think they'll have an upgrade at quarterback. I just wonder what it looks like with the town around him because you're going from a, a place where you had like 11 total four or five star players. Uh, I think at the skill positions around him at OU or maybe it was the offensive line and he has one It's offensive line. He has one um, at, at USC. So I don't know if, if they can protect him, maybe things are fine, but that, that offensive line was bad last year. Yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced. I think this you look at that schedule too. We talk about bad schedules. South Carolina's schedule is they're not going bowling. Like let me just go ahead and put this on record. They're not going bowling this year. Like they're taking a step back. And that's fine. Like like they shouldn't yeah. have gone last year. And I hate that for South Carolina fans. My family lives in Lexington. My mom's a pastor, which I'm sure is a surprise to anybody that's heard me speak and the words that come out of my mouth. But like I love Beamer, right? I, I, they're kinda like yeah. the Arkansas of the East. Um I think historically they're Mississippi State of the East. They're they're seven and five, eight and four at best for like their entire program history. But like 
I was going to say, I think Kentucky fits more Arkansas East to me. Well, I'm just saying for this year, just because, and you kind of maybe interchange them because Hmm. Beamer's fantastic. He's magnetic. Everyone enjoys being around him. He's, he's put a, like a, like sparked a lot of excitement to that program. No one's pulling against South Carolina besides Clemson fans, right? No one's pulling against Sam Pittman in the same way. Nobody's pulling against Shane Beamer. I just don't know with the, with both of them, those schedules are brutal. I mean, they go to Arkansas in week two, and then they get Georgia at home in week three. I mean, you're at Kentucky. You pulled A&M this year in the West. Well, no, that's the last level. Yeah. That's a crazy game, bro. <laughs> that's real. I mean, and then you close just the gauntlet where it's like the bad vibes closing stuff is just what you don't want. And that's the bad vibes at Florida who might figure it out by that point and really be rolling with Richardson, Tennessee at home, and then at Clemson. Like, that's just not how you want to end your season. That's three just games that you're not going to be favored in. And you just don't want to go into the offseason with a three-game losing streak. Like, that's not where you want to be when you're in year two and you're trying to sell division in this program. Uh, next up, the Florida Gators. What? Uh, why will this team suck in 2022? I mean, I don't know who Anthony Richardson is going to hand off to, throw to, whatever. I, I like. I Florida is such an enigma because the only thing really any of us outside of Gainesville know is Anthony Richardson, mm. and he is. I think Anthony Richardson is on paper talented enough to be like. And hear me out here. I'm not comparing him or saying he's as good or going to have a year like Cam Newton. I think he is built like Cam Newton in terms of like his like physical abilities. And like, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's, he's incredibly athletic. I mean, I, I saw him at media days. He was, I don't know if you were there. He, he looks mm. the part, right. Um, mm. I don't like Cam had to do all that on his own. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that kind of season where he, or somebody had to do like all of that on their own. Um, he would have to do that. And I think even if he was able to be that level of talent, you still have a, you still play Georgia. Um, you still get Tennessee and that's at Tennessee this year. Um, you got to play Kentucky. You know, like I think Florida state will even be better. I think this is like you, they're going to lose to Utah. Like Utah yeah. is a very good team. That's a potential like college ball playoff, like bound type team. I think seven wins, eight wins would be incredible for Florida. And I don't hmm. think, they realize that I just don't think they have like the talent everywhere on that team yet. And there's, so, there's not a more dysfunctional program in this league than, than that one right now, which says a lot because Auburn is also in this league. I might, I, I don't know what I'm going to do if we lose to Florida this year. Like if yeah. I'm in the bill, I, I just, I don't know what the Knoxville is going to be a very, very interesting place if that's the result on uh, Saturday afternoon, end of September. Like yeah. that is, if you're not going to do it this year, I just don't know when you're getting over the hump. I don't know when you're moving past that demon. If, if somebody told you right now you would go 10-2 and two with, with losses to Georgia and Bama, mm-hmm. and like just flat out, you would take that, right? Yeah, 100%. Like that's okay. just a, that's an amazing season. What amazing about season? Four, but you beat you beat Georgia or Bama uh, say it's Bama, but you, you also lose to like a Kentucky or a Florida. I'd rather, I'd rather lose to Kentucky than Florida. Okay. That makes sense. I would rather move on from that and just be like, Oh, one year blip, like Kentucky got us, whatever, like a bad, a weird bad Hinden game, like it, whatever. But right. like, 
getting over the Florida thing is paramount with this new yeah. administration. Like, I think that's just it. It's like establishing this regime that it's going to be different with Napier and Heupel and that this mm-hmm. is uh, a different type of thing. So, I mean, I'm also a lot of people have put to eight and four for Tennessee. And I just don't think that's just too clean to go from seven and five to eight and four. And basically what they look at is like same results from last year, except you flip the pit game where you beat Pitt this year on the road and right, right. you lose to Florida, you lose to Georgia, you lose to Bama. Um, I forgot who else would be on that list of who we lose to. Who am I missing? Georgia, Bama, Florida, um, LSU. One of the team? LSU. That's the other one. Yeah. Um, cause they won't be favored in any of those games. They'll be favored in the Florida game. I don't think they'll be favored in LSU. Probably not favored in Pitt. I don't think they're going to be favored at Pitt. Um, but we'll see. Um, but the whole Pitt thing, Pitt's defensive line is top notch. Oh, I don't right. know if you've seen That's the left it. tackle spot at UT right now. JJ Crawford versus Gerald Mincy going on right now. I I mean, if, if there's a scenario, which we might find the next week, where Darnell Wright has to move back to left tackle because the left right. tackle spot is just bad, and then uh, Davis is going to be a right tackle from a walk-on, I mean, it, you can live. That's kind of what they had to do from the majority of last year, but I don't know. Like, it's just that the pit game scares me a lot more than Tennessee fans should be. Like, I'm more confident about Florida than I am Pitt, and I don't know if a lot of fans are feeling the same way. You should be. I, I think that's spot on because you have to win that game. You, you need to go into Florida with as much confidence as possible, mm. um, and I think you still need to win the Florida game. That's more of a must win maybe than Pitt, but like Pitt – you should have beat him last year. I said this is a joke last year. Like, Hypo should not – he should just do his best to, to only go five and seven at best. These <laughs> expectations would, would go crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what's funny, too, is, like, I think Tennessee's going to be, be great, but some of the stuff that we do as, like, fans in general, right, we always think, like, well, all right, like, we only lost this – Arkansas is a perfect example. Like, we won mm-hmm. nine games last year. Of course we're going to challenge for the West. We almost – you know, we only lost to Bama by seven. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, you know – shape this up. We're going to, we're going to do this better, blah, blah. And it's like, we have KJ Jefferson. And then you start looking at that schedule and you're like, you're just assuming that all of the losses or all the wins are going to stay wins. Right. And that's how sports works. It's just you, everything's linear. You just make that adjustment. And then you're that like, it's just not how sports works. Right. I, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think ultimately one thing, one of two things happen. Either Tennessee takes a step back and they go six and six and they have a season from hell and injuries are a problem. The offensive line sucks. Like that's a real possibility. Um, and then I think it all in the corner, like the, the secondary is still just a very, very, very big question mark. So we'll see. Yeah. Like, I think they are still in a position to get torched uh, a lot this year, but, um, or they win nine or 10 games. And mm-hmm. I do think it's one of those two things where we see this with year two coaches now, like it's easier yeah. to have these fast turnarounds because of the portal, because of the way this stuff works. It's also, do you know how many teams in the top 10 in offense in scoring offense last year did not win 10 games? How many teams? There's probably one. One. Do you know who it was? Y'all. Yeah, that's it. Dude, here's so it's like if you go, if you're a top 10 offense next year, I like the odds where I'm like, this is a scoring sport now where right. it's just like people joke on Tennessee's tempo and everything, but I'm like, Tennessee was not out. They look at the final score. You watch the Alabama game, like the Josh Job not paying attention. Like Tennessee was in that game in the fourth quarter. They were still in it. They did not have the bodies to finish it. But they were in it. I, I will say, it, like, I don't know if we were trying to save Tennessee for last, but we'll get into it, man. I think yeah, let's just get in Tennessee. The reason why I think, like, I, like I bring up the stuff about Arkansas and like the fans, like everything's linear, like you said, right? Why I think that doesn't apply to Tennessee. Number one, and maybe the most important thing out of everything, you know what you didn't do this offseason? was lose thirty four plus players in the transfer portal. Yep, like 
that alone is huge, right? I, I do worry about the defense, not because it won't be better. It would almost have to be, but because it's been a thing everywhere Hypel has been where they score so fast and it's so much fun to watch. And they're so fucking efficient, especially with those early game, like, you know, first quarter, like, you know, first drive scripts and stuff like that. One of the best bets that anyone should have made last year, it's like probably the best bet I made all year was, was Tennessee to score first against Georgia. Like, Oh my God. I said this in this podcast. I got like Matt and I were arguing about it. I'm like, I told all my family, I'm like, Tennessee is going to be winning at the end of the first quarter against Georgia. I promise you Tennessee will be winning because Georgia is going to play their style. They're gonna be like, Oh shit, we got to adjust. Like this is a problem. And they adjusted. And they're, they're going to score on anybody. I think, and I think that continues into this year. I hate that you guys lost Vilas Jones. And all that kind of stuff like that. Maybe Dylan Hyatt looks like a player, though. Maybe. I think Dylan Hyatt's gonna be really good in the slot this year. I think. I think that I'm not worried about wide receiver. That's like one of the ones I'm not even the least bit worried no. about. Squirrel White, my dude. He's gonna be a freshman sensation. I think big squirrel I, I guy. Think, like with Hypo, especially, they're going to be better. I think that you you could leave September four. No, I don't think that's like crazy. I, I think it's dangerous that that is kind of the expectation because that schedule is also still pretty difficult with with Tennessee. I just want three and one. I want three and I one. I mean, but like, because you still got to go to LSU and you get that Bama game and stuff like that. But I, I will say this: I think with you don't lose all that to the portal. Like Hinton Hooker is finally getting like you've seen it kind of shift throughout the summer. People are finally paying attention. He was one of the best quarterbacks, if not, I mean, statistically, he wasn't the best quarterback, I guess, because of Bryce Young, the numbers he put up. But Hinton Hooker is a top five quarterback in the country, flat out. And and this the stuff about Tennessee, like, I don't know if it, if if they turn around to ten games this quick because of how the defense is. Um, just not not like because of the team or anything with the talent, just because of the way that has consistently been with a Josh Heupel coach team. Not worried about the offensive line. Um, maybe I should be, but like I think that's like the way that that offense is run. I've seen worse offensive lines under Heupel have more more consistency like or, or more success. The fact that he was there for Drew Locke and made him one of the premier. I mean, Drew Locke set an SEC record for touchdowns in a season under mm-hmm. under Heupel. Um, the biggest thing with a place like Tennessee, I don't know if it happens this year, but Tennessee will compete for SEC and most likely they will, I don't know if they'll play for a national championship. I'm not saying that, but they will be in contention starting this year for the SEC championship for as long as they want to be. Because with NIL, one of the things NIL is going to do is bring back some of these like dormant, like absolute blue bloods and powerhouses, teams like Tennessee, teams like Miami. You would think USC, but they don't have, they're not spending money. Tennessee, their alumni, their fans, they want to win. They will provide the resources. It is a great tradition. It's a great university. It's in a great setting, one of the top one of the top stadiums. Tennessee will start competing for consistent SEC and potentially national championships this year. And, and after this year, it's game over. I mean, like, it, like there's not – next year, there's not a – man, I wonder if they – they will start being – like well into the fourth in those games against Georgia mm-hmm. and Bama. And, and, and they will start being expected to win those after that. I think Tennessee is a program that should scare everyone in the country, especially in the SEC. I mean, the quarterback room next year might be Milton, uh, uh, Milton Jackson and Nico. Like that's filthy. Like if that's their spring choices. Yeah. Joe Milton's still going to be there. Okay. Think about this too. You went seven and five or seven and six. You should have beat Purdue yeah. other games too. That like, we're know, not talking about the Purdue game that just, and I, that ruined a day for me. And I told uh, Fionta, I was like, this is the dumbest reason to be so pissed off. But I'm like, I'm going for a walk for a, an exhibition game. Like, I'm so pissed. Right. Like, that game ruined my night and everything. I was so pissed off about that game. But More than Mil- any other game this past year. If Mill doesn't start against Pitt, you'll probably win mm-hmm. that game. Like, if Hooker, you know, yeah. I, I just think the potential is, is through the roof of this team. I agree with you, um, but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Georgia, have you heard about this? Have you uh, have you seen this? Georgia Bulldogs, they won a national championship this year. This might be hard. 
What? Why are the Georgia Bulldogs going to suck in 2022? If we talked about this last night on our podcast at CFP or College Ball Uncensored, um, shameless plug, but I think Georgia has the best, the easiest route and the best chance at winning the SEC over Bama because that schedule is a lot easier than what Bama's is. If something happens though, Drew Butler brought this up. He's a former punter for them and a great, mm. great. Um, Georgia has blamed everything possible on, on Setson Bennett. All of this shit about we are backup quarterback and you know, former walk-on. Like, first off, he started for predominantly for two years. Mm. And he was a great quarterback. I, I think he like I have him going into this year as the second rated quarterback strictly because he won a national championship. And I'm not saying that he's he's better physically, like his physical talents are better than Hinton Hooker or anything like that, but I think he, you have to you have to take into account that he was able to win a national championship, block all that extra noise out. But going into this year, the fact that that kid won you a, a national title, and it wasn't a foregone conclusion that he was the starter for next year. If going into this year, something happens in that Oregon game where they don't dominate from jump because they everyone feels like they should. If Bo fucking Nix especially comes in here and takes you to halftime, takes you into – you know, I don't know, late in the second half or half of the second half where it's a close game. And, and think about this, too. Lanning is a former coach under Kirby. We saw this with, with Arkansas when they were 3-7 and seven in 2020. They were, I think it was tied, or maybe they were even winning at the half in game one against Georgia. Kirby's not going to try to embarrass Lanning. If mm. some of them really kind of stumble out of the gates against Oregon and you start having this quarterback controversy again, Kirby has shown in the past that he he's, can mismanage that situation. I don't think he did last year because JT Daniels was hurt and mm-hmm. he, you know, and I think he handled it well by, by putting in sets in, but if something happens where that's mismanaged and you don't have like, like any sort of congruence, like flow with the offense or the team gets divided somehow, cause they don't know who to trust the quarterback. That's how. We'll see. I like their schedule is a joke. I would actually be pissed off. If I was a Georgia fan when I'm at the schedule, like with their ticket price, like at UGA tickets are preposterous and you look at this home schedule like you don't even get Oregon at home you look at it and you're like what is it's Tennessee that's it like you're you have one big home game this year if you're a Georgia fan that that just kind of sucks man like I just I don't know Uh, that's one of the things where it's like expansion the one positive I look at is like a lot of these like schedules just suck you look at it and you're like man this is kind of burning like why do we have these like four or five just crappy games on the calendar uh, each each year and paying a lot of money Hmm? Is Georgia ever going to have to travel to A&M? I, I, <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, speaking of A&M, let's hit them next. A&M, why will they suck in 2022? One, I apologize about the dogs again. No, uh, you're okay, man. Okay. Um, hold on one second. There we go. Um, didn't help at all. Uh, why Stream would they- it works. We can just mute right away. It's easy to go. Yeah. So why would they suck in, in this year? Because expectations are crazy high. I do think that they are going to be better than everyone. Like they should be better at eight and four, right? They have talent on offense, especially the skill position. I think Max Johnson is a perfect fit at quarterback for a Jimbo Fisher's offense. I don't, I don't think Haynes King wins that, that hmm. uh, job. Um, and Max Johnson, he's, he's underwhelming in a way like Felipe Franks was where, they, I mean, they had the same stat line, 27 touchdowns and six interceptions, but nobody's impressed with it somehow. Um, I wonder what that defense looks like because you do have a lot of talent in some, in, especially in the back end, in the secondary, and and a lot of young talent coming in on the D line. But how does that look? Because you don't have Elko, you don't have mm-hmm. Elko coming in as a defensive coordinator for the first time in four years. And I think in today's like 
talent is, is the most important part of any team like to win games in today's, you know, today's like modern football. Right. Mm. I think the congruency and like, like the, the, any, any time you can return as much familiarity, especially on the coaching staff as possible. That's huge. And I'm not just saying it because I've watched Bama, um, just let go of, of offensive coordinators going into the national championship game several times mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, suffer the consequences of it. But I think that when you, when you have like that kind of consistency where you have that, like not from a recruiting standpoint, but from just like the, the meeting standpoint from like a daily basis on that team, that's huge. And they don't have that. And also DJ Durkin, not sold on DJ Durkin. I, I don't understand how he even sells a job, to be honest. We're not going to get into that. But I don't think that like this thing, when things go poorly for Jimbo and this could happen in week three, when they play Miami at home, because Miami is going to be a better team than people think. If things go poorly for Jimbo, he doesn't know how to handle that in stride. He will blame everyone else around him. He did it at FSU for years and he will do that again because now there's no more excuses. Like you've been given all of, all of the, the, you know, resources they, they possibly have. I mean, people don't understand this, but, they just started a $189 million uh, renovation, like, I don't know, plan or upgrade or whatever the facilities. Mm. That's a program that's already spent over $570 million just on football um, in those facilities since 2014. Mm. Well, we'll see. I agree with you, though. The, the, they're the hardest team for, like, they're the hardest team for me to forecast in 2022. Like, mm. I could see them in a national championship game. I also could see them going like seven and five. Like anything's possible with this group, and I have no idea what to do with them. But uh, we'll see with AM. Uh, old Miss, old friend Lane Kiffin. Um, why this team will suck? You know what I kind of want to say here quickly on them. I kind of want them to suck just because I don't want it to be successful for teams to completely flip their roster with the portal. I want there to be like a fallout from the lack of chemistry where like when you, you can't just plug and play and you can't just move a whole roster over and then just be fine. I want more Texas state situations where Jake Spebedal did that with his whole team and they still were awful. Like that's what I want. Yeah. Um, I want less of the Western Kentucky where they just uh, move the whole offense and the offensive coordinator over uh, to wherever, where is Western Kentucky? I don't even remember where it actually is. What's, what's the town? Yeah. Hilltopper town, whatever it is. Uh, apologies to the Hilltoppers, but I don't want that. I don't want the immediate just it all works because I want to believe that you still have to build this chemistry and it takes right. a couple of years to get together because this whole team is a portal team. Like this year, he yeah. is the portal king and I don't act. I understand he has to do that to compete, but I also don't want that way of building to work. I don't want teams to be able to flip the entire roster in the portal and win that way. Is that fair? No, I, I completely understand. I think it's like at some point, this is we're faced with this as, as fans. Like this is the future of the sport mm. and it's it's so much change people hate change the things i've always noticed like people hate spiders snakes and change um <laughs> some more than the mm. other i mean like yeah i mean like in, in anybody that's followed the sport for a long time it's it's our favorite thing right like you know we we it's you only get a couple of like i always say you only get 13 of these saturdays uh a year so they're like they're precious the season itself is precious like we we love everything about like cultural for the most part this is where it's headed. And I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't, I'm not saying I want to see them fail because they had to go to the portal because I mean, the SC West, especially it's a tough place to go compete. Um, why they would suck this year. I think you don't have a guy like Matt Corral who his leadership, I think in, in like, let's see performances like that. He, Kiffin is really good at, at, at 
a couple of things. One, lying to your fan base uh, in, in front of them. I, you know that all too well. I know that all too well. Um, and the other thing is, and I think he's grown up, right? But the other thing is, I remember when he when he was brought on as like an analyst before the after the kick six for Alabama, right? They they put him in a room with like then the then offensive coordinator Nussmeyer, and he was like, you know, what what would you do differently besides not kick a fifty seven yard field goal as time expired? And he like writes five numbers up on the board, circles he's like these are your best players, get them the ball. So you saw like Amari Cooper, Derrick Henry, Matt Corral last year. Eight of the last ten places he's been, whether it be a coordinator, or offensive, or a, or a head coach. Like in the last 10 years, he's had a 30 touchdown or a 3000 yard passer in eight of them. The two times he didn't was at FAU. And then he had a running back that put up 1900 yards and like 32 touchdowns. They will be good on offense no matter what, because it's Kiffin, right? Mm. They'll suck if, if they don't have a defense. And also that's another, that's another team where it's like, they kind of snuck to 10 wins last year. Mm. Probably shouldn't have won that Tennessee game. I, I think if, Anybody could tell what real injuries and fake injuries were. They probably wouldn't have. Also, uh, Tyler Barron uh, had a touchdown that was uh, called back because they wanted to say that uh, they there was a they meant to blow a whistle, but for whatever reason, right. because Ole Miss was not aware of said uh, whistle, that that negated the play that uh, was snapped and was no whistle. But that's not here nor there. You still have Bama. You you played an LSU team that was not great last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I think they're going to be better this year, and I think that's at LSU. Um, you get Bama at home. You don't draw Georgia from the east, uh, you know. Like I think they're they're east. Like they're, their opponents in the east are pretty pretty manageable. You don't get Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that like you you did that last year. Like it, you, they haven't beaten Auburn, I think, in five or six years, right? And mm-hmm. I think they get them at home, but I just don't think that's a team where we talk like this linear progression. Like oh yeah, of course, but they're going to be even better this year. I don't think that's true. Um, they lose both coordinators. Right mm. for the first time under Kiffin, how does he manage that? The offense will be good. Zach Evans will be will be really good. I think he'll be the feature of that offense. Jesus Christ! Um, I think they'll be better on defense. So that defense was bad last year. I also want to be in the room though when because I'm very curious because like Kiffin's brother was going to come over and be a co DC, and then a couple days later he's like, no, I'm not going to be a co DC. I'm going to stay in Cleveland. I wouldn't. I want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I wonder what he saw and what he knew. I want to be a fly on the wall for any conversation with Kiffin. That's probably true. That's probably fair. Um, next up, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Why will Mike Leach's Bulldogs suck in 2022? Because it's Mike Leach. Mm. It, like, the ceiling is eight wins, I think. Um, the defense could be better. You still get Memphis is not an easy game out of no. out of like the, the non-con. You get, I think they're at Bama. I don't know who they draw Georgia from the East. Um, that's, you know, I, I just they could be good. Like, like they probably shouldn't have had that comeback win against Auburn last year. Um, it's pretty team, amazing though. That was an yeah, amazing sure. football game. I, I just think that like, if they are one dimensional, like they have been, and especially can be under a Mike Leach team, then they are going to be like, I mean, they should be five and seven or seven and five. That's it. Like it's, it's like a, the, the window of, of success there is pretty small. It might be the smallest in, in the league besides maybe Bandy. October 1st, let me give you the October 1st through November 12th situation for state. A&M at home, Arkansas at home, at Kentucky, at Alabama, Auburn at home, Georgia at home. I mean, I just, we talk about the nine wins stat. I just, I don't see it with the schedule. This schedule sucks. Like this is a brutal, brutal schedule. Stadium? 
They do return 17 starters, so I think that could be a thing. That's great, but, like, I mean, this schedule, I just don't see it. Like, that's nice, but I don't think the 17 starters are going to make a difference on the road to Kentucky, at Alabama, Georgia at home, even Auburn at home. Like, I just, I don't know. And you're going to Baton Rouge. We'll see. Uh, It'd be two straight in Baton Rouge. I I don't think that's happened very often in in state's history. Um, Auburn. I'm interested to get your take on this because I think I might be different than you on this. Auburn, why will they suck in 2022? It, from a talent standpoint, and it's it's because of the offense, like if, if those receivers... They're like, in the blue chip ratio. Auburn has a lot of talent. Auburn yeah. is... It's maddening to watch because it, it's it's such a fascinating program. Um, I think Hartson's a good coach. I think he will be a good they coach. They should have beat your team last year. Yeah, They had them on the ropes. First off, not my team. I'm an I'm an unbiased member of the media. But okay. yes, that was a right. That was awful. That was a miserable mm-hmm. experience to watch. Um, they absolutely should have. They should have beaten South Carolina. They, like Auburn ended their season with a five game losing streak where they blew, I think, at least at least three, maybe four games, the double digit lead. They had to play a bowl game where they rode their they had to ride their bikes to the stadium basically because it was in Birmingham. You have mm-hmm. the the way that year ended, and then of course going into the off season. Here's what I say about Auburn, like. That program has been run. Anybody that's like been around SC, SC football for a long time and knows like the old. So I'm talking like Philip Fulmer type, like good old boy days, right? Mm-hmm. Like where, listen, Bama cheated. I think a lot of teams cheated. That program at Auburn has been run by an inner circle of like roughly nine dudes for the, the you know as long as I've been alive. And, mm-hmm. and I saw that come into play last year where there's such like a power struggle with over over what like so. I think Harson, like if you didn't want Harson to be your coach, like here's what I always say. If I want barbecue, I'm not gonna go to fucking Brooklyn. So if I want somebody that is going to like understand the culture in the SEC, recruit in the SEC, like I'm not gonna go to Boise, Idaho to get a coach. He's a good coach if you give him time. But in that in that situation, like I don't think he wants to deal with all the politics of it. Um, if he loses to Penn State early and they they have like if they have bad quarterback play, like if, if that offense is just Tank Bigsby, which we've seen, you can't have an offense, I think, in this day and age where it's just running backs um, or a running back. I think that – and I like I like Jarko Hunter a lot. If, if they are one-dimensional and can only run the football, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. The defense should be what it is, but you replace both – they're the only team in the fucking country that lost three coordinators. <laughs> Because they were, they hired an offensive coordinator who was a terrible mm-hmm. fit. They fired him for two weeks. And, and like, I I think that they have to be good. I think they they will win eight games. And it because, all ended with them just going full Boise. Like I think both coordinators are his Boise guys, which is what he probably should have done all along. Like that was one of those where he let other people like kind of dictate his hiring. It seems like where I don't let them. I think that Auburn basically came up and was like, you know what? Like this is what we're going to do. Right. And that whole program man, is it's just it's crazy in general. Like where you hear these stories like from. People, you know, and I'm sure you've heard them too, but like from like sources that like I definitely trust that watch the whole thing unfold. You had people going to, to Napier and, and like like boosters meeting with him and his agent telling him who he needs to hire, who he needs to, to retain. And they hadn't even been contacted by the university yet. Mm-hmm. If they can stay out of his way, they'll be fine. I don't think that Zach Calzada, he's probably got the best arm in the league. I don't think. It, he feels outside, like a Harson guy though. Was that? He feels like a Harson guy, like a Boise. Like you could see a Zach Calzada in Boise, just like putting up some fun numbers, being good. He was bad in every other game besides that. He Bama, was. Bama game. Hey, I mean, Lanier bad. legend, Zach Calzada. Lanier long, right. long people forget. Um, I don't know. I think here's my thing on Auburn. I will 
I just I have a strong, strong belief they are not finishing last. Harson's too good of a coach. There's too much talent. I do not see them. He's not long for that job, but he's also not losing. He's not going to finish like four and eight. Like I just don't see that. I think worst case scenario for Auburn's like seven and five. I really oh, do. I, no, so I thought you said we were going to disagree because I completely agree with that. Okay, I think we're on the same page there. I thought you were going to go the other way. Most people yeah. are. So that I like that. Um, last two, Arkansas. Why will Arkansas suck in 2022? The schedule. Mm. Like, KJ Jefferson, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's awesome. I don't know if he is able to do that again because it's just difficult to do, right? Like, maybe he's better. And, and they're one of the only teams in the country with a returning offensive and defensive coordinator for, for the third straight That year. matters. Yeah. It does. I, but at the same time, and I love what they did in the portal, not just with, like, mm. getting a bunch of dudes, but, like, it's going to be hard to replace, you know, a, a guy like Burks and you go out and get Hazelwood who's a former number one overall receiver in the country coming out of high school. Um, you go out and get, I love the Drew Sanders pickup at, at linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a guy that lost his job technically at Bama, but was starting throughout, you know, the first month of the season, just not over Dallas Turner towards the end. Um, I think Pippen's a good coach. He's been able to turn that culture around very quickly. That schedule is a fucking nightmare. It is a nightmare. I mean, in the middle of like the, like the thick of it, right? You mm-hmm. have your schedule pulled up? No, I do not. I can pull it up, but it's a rough schedule. Arkansas has got a rough one. I've got a full story here. I just didn't want to seem like I don't want anything. Hold on, hold on. I, oh, wait, hold on. Just to be clear, if you're in the South, like any Southern person has Phil Steele just ready to go right here. Yeah, we should have done that from the start of just like, hold on, let me parse through here on my Phil Steele annual. Uh, I, I do think that like you return seven, it says like seven starters on offense. I brought this up at me today. He's 16 and six against the spread since he's been there, which hmm. is awesome. Um, so any of you gamblers out there, but it, like last year, you saw what KJ Jefferson looked like against A&M. He was eight of 15. He had like 200 something yards passing, but 180 of that was to one guy. Um, he was terrible against Georgia as most quarterbacks were. You don't get Georgia on this year's schedule, but this is, this is what they do. Like they get South Carolina at home. I think they're three and zero, right? They, they, they beat Cincinnati. I South don't know Carolina. if they beat Cincinnati. They will. The Cincinnati lost nine starters in the NFL. They, they, don't they did, them. but I mean, Hey, we'll see. Luke Fickle, uh-huh. man. I don't know. We'll see. I will say they'll win that game. Let's just go with that. Yeah. They, they beat A&M last year, but they also lost the previous – let's see here. I'm, I'm just adding them up right here. Minimum four. I think it might have been worse than that. I think it was like five or, or maybe maybe more. Um, that's a neutral site game, so you're not at home for that. Then you get Bama at home, which I think – You're not beating Bama. They think they might. They haven't done that in 15 years, but they, they have mm-hmm. the opportunity. Which means at the very least, though, if you're getting geared up for that, you might be overlooking an A&M team that you have not done very well against like in a long time. At Mississippi State, they've beaten in the past two years. I don't know if that continues. Um, then you go in the middle of all that at BYU. They're losing that game. I'm, let me no, just go no. and say, Jaron Hall is a, a player. They and are so well coached. Kalani Sataki's a great coach. Yeah. I, mean, I think BYU's beaten Arkansas. That's like a good middle. But wait, when is that? What, BYU's got Notre Dame and uh, Arkansas in the middle of their schedule. What are they doing? I mean, people forget BYU was the Pac-12 champ last year. People forget, like, the Pac-12 yeah. South champ. They literally went undefeated against the Pac-12 South. Like, is a great program. They do. They, I mean, and again, and Pittman brought this up. Like, they are – they're not a slouch. They, they return 20 starters. They get a week off, but then you go at Auburn. People forget about this. As bad as Auburn people – as bad as people think Auburn was last year, Auburn beat them by 15 points at, like, on the road in, in Fayetteville. Mm. Um, Liberty, which, you know, I, I don't know. Who knows with Hugh Freeze. And then you close with LSU Ole Miss, and then that's a win at Mizzou. 
there's there's so many like with that schedule it, i don't see a lot of like yeah it's a guaranteed dub and and i think that it has the it has the like the potential to go off the rails because of how difficult it is last one i just i don't know how to do this alabama why would alabama suck because like they I just what they all just bypass the season because they're like our draft stuff can only go down from here like if you're will anderson and bryce young you're like what good does it actually do for me to play football this year like uh what good do, do i just need to sit this one out like i just don't know what it is so in in earmuff at georgia fans injuries for one mm. an issue um I think it's one thing that that sucked going into the end of last year, which was like I Georgia fans will, will argue this till the day they die, but like you know, like injuries don't matter. I, it's, there's a difference between losing players early in the season mm-hmm. um, and being able to have like 12, 14 games to find a replacement and figure out like a plan. That's not really what ha- got to happen to Bama last year. But also, let's not pretend that that Bama team was very. They were not. They had the best offensive player in the country and the best defensive player in the country. That offensive line was garbage. They were 120 mm. in the S in the in the SEC in in college football out of 131 teams in terms of sacks allowed. They, they were 13th in the conference in the same uh, same category. They had six yards rushing against LSU. You know, like and now to be fair, they lost like uh, every single backup running back besides maybe Trey Sanders, who has been kind of injury plagued in general. Um, the biggest thing for me is this. They should have probably lost three games last year, maybe four. They should have lost at Florida. They they probably should have lost, um, but they did lose a and They should have lost against Auburn. They There's another one I'm missing. The, the LSU probably should have beat them as well. Um, now they didn't. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that makes Bama Bama. Uh, at the same time, I don't think that that's a guaranteed win at Texas at all. Um, I think the offense should be really good. You have a lot of talent. The offensive line is not good. So if you have injuries and then I don't know, like, like you're, you're going to get everyone's best shot. Like you always do for Bama. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if they lose early in a game, they shouldn't. I don't know what the makeup of the team is. If they mail it in. I think there's leadership on this team, obviously, like with Will, with Will Anderson, all that kind of stuff. The biggest thing for me is this. I, I said last year I didn't think Mechie was going to be good enough to go win you a game. He literally did that against Auburn. And even though they had to replace two first-round draft picks with – Jesus Christ – with Waddle and Devonta, they were able to do that. They don't have that this year. They don't, they don't have it this year. You don't have a physically imposing receiver. Like Jermaine Burton is not going to go out there at 6 feet, 185 pounds – and, you know, intimidate anybody that he lines up against. It, they, they have to have somebody step up at that position that, like, from the, that's been there for a while and, like, be a either a burner, whether it's, like, the, the Hatton kid from Louisville, um, and, and have what they what – they Is want. Malachi Benson going to play? What's that? Is Malachi going to play? Malachi – like, Malachi – Or what, what is his name? Or? The, the Juco kid who just transferred that Tennessee was trying to get. What's his name? The tight end? No, the receiver. What was his name? Malachi. What was it? What am I thinking of? Why am I blanking on this? The tennis. The kid who. The JUCO kid. The number one JUCO kid. I don't think. I don't think he's this year. Is he next year? Okay. Next year, next year. But I mean, like, they just. You don't have a guy like Jameson Williams. Williams is a four-two guy. Messi, who's been there for a while in that program. Again, the size is nothing that they're going to like line up against the defensive back and and dominate. That defense should be the best it's been since 2016. Mm. But if they Malik are Malik Benson, excuse me. Okay. Malik if they Benson, are able yeah. to stretch the field like they were at, were last year, this is going to be a tough scene because Bryce Young, 
I don't think he can do it two years in a row with, with that, that offensive line. That offensive line was bad. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, you got you took Vanderbilt's uh, left tackle uh, for this year. So that's just not good. That's rough uh, if you're Vanderbilt. Uh, and that's like the biggest fear for all these schools where it's like your mm-hmm. best, like Lyman, it's just like, oh, Alabama's just going to be like, all right, we'll just go grab him. Like, it's fine. Well, like, think about this too, man. Like, you signed the number one and number two offensive tackles in the country two recruiting cycles ago. Like mm-hmm. going into last year, they had two incoming freshmen that were number one and number two in the country at, at that position, both five stars. Yeah. And you're going to Vanderbilt to find like, somebody to shore up that offensive line. Like that's, that says enough for me. Well, that was a fun exercise. Yeah, man. That was fun, man. Uh, what can the good folks check out from you at College Football Uncensored and the good folks over at Saturday Down South this week, man? So um, we're doing our preview series now. I think we have Auburn uh, tomorrow, maybe Bama. I'm not really sure. We'll do Tennessee sometime next week. We'll have you on for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, check out the podcast, College Football Uncensored. It's CFB underscore Uncensored on Twitter. Um, if you're in the Atlanta area, we're doing a, a kickoff uh, kind of meet and greet at Atlanta Spirit Works uh, and, and Distillery at the Battery on okay. the 26th of Friday night. Um, and then, like I, you know, like I said, so follow along like, on social media and and. The only thing from SC is like, I don't write for the, the site. I do video more than anything. So check out our mm-hmm. YouTube page and, and, and kind of follow along with that. Um, and then, yeah, Vern Fundquist on Twitter. So there you go. Support them because Connor O'Gara just telling Paul Feinbaum that uh, Tennessee was beating Georgia this year. And Paul's just <sighs> was uh, all yeah. we needed. Yeah, it was but, something. There you go. Chris, thank you so much. And uh, hail Parkview. That's right, man. <laughs> All right, y'all. That'll do it for today's edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversations with Trillboro Dude, with Stats by Will, and with Chris Marler. Uh, a lot of college basketball, college football, and uh, NBA talk here on today's edition of the program. If you enjoyed today's episode, guys, please, please, please make sure you leave this episode a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. It helps other people find this show. It helps this show continue to grow and all that good stuff. So please, please, please make sure you take care of that today. If you have not already done so, uh, like and subscribe on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. And yeah, new episode coming tomorrow. Uh, This is a daily national sports show. Thank you as always for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. And that's it for me. You guys have yourself a great Wednesday. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.